Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's do this. Another day, another dollar, another edition of The Drive. You're listening to The Drive on 6 Cent Sports Radio, 6 and the Odyssey app. My name is Karen Harrison. Excited to be here as we are inching closer and closer and closer to Super Bowl 58 between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. So today's show is going to have a little bit of a different theme. We are calling today Toss Up Tuesday. So, randomly over the course of today's show, I'm going to throw out a toss-up, and we'll see what your answer is to that, 913-586-7610. We also have teammates of Patrick Mahomes to come on the show and talk about the last Super Bowl against the San Francisco 49ers back in 2020. Dustin Colquitt, future Chiefs Ring of Honor Dustin Colquitt will be on the show coming up in about 30 minutes or so. We'll get his stories from the Super Bowl four years ago. We'll also get his Patrick Mahomes stories. Very excited to be joined by Dustin Colquitt coming up in 30 minutes. We'll give you a chance to win prizes. We'll give you a chance to win pizza. We'll give you a chance to win. Well, we just got pizza. Time on the drive. Carrington, dial me up right now. 913-586-7610. Caller number six wins a pizza from our friends over at Pizza Tasio. Pizza Tasio is Kansas City's best New York style pizza, and they've taken over the town. They got a new spot in Waldo, plus locations in Overland Park, Lee Summit, Midtown, North KC, St. Joe, and Lawrence. They also have a killer selection of craft and local beers, plus unique wines. So whether you're in the mood for maybe a whole pie or maybe you're just peckish and want some slices be sure to visit them now at pizzatasio.com that's pizza t-a-s-c-i-o.com i need you guys to do me a couple of favors number one i need you listening to the drive each day at two o'clock number two i need you to tell one friend you don't got to tell two friends but if you want the best big game coverage and you also want some free pizza then i'd keep it locked in right here on 610 sports radio this is where i would like to start today's show yesterday was the official start of super bowl week The two teams practiced yesterday. You had Super Bowl media night. Yesterday is day one of Super Bowl coverage. I would like to talk about the top stories. The number one story. Now, I like Mike Florio. I remember back when pro football talk was just a blog. Back when I was a producer. Back when I was answering phones for Nick Wright. Nick Wright was one of the first people that was putting Mike Florio on the radio. So I've got a relationship with Mike Florio. I like Mike Florio. 
he has been the only one spreading this nonsense about Andy Reid and potentially retiring at the end of the season. Now, I don't know Andy Reid's personal life. I don't know his health. But everything would make you believe that things are on the up and up, and there's no reason to think that he is not coming back next season. He has said this repeatedly, and today the owner of the team was on the Midday Show, Cody and Gold, live from Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Here's what Clark Hunt had to say about the retirement rumors circling around Andy Reid. I've been fascinated to see the number of articles out there speculating about uh, Andy's future. I I have no sense from him uh, that he's ready to hang it up. Uh, He loves what he's doing. He is energized uh, by this team. Um, He has one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Uh, So I'm not expecting him to to step down at the end of the season and uh, look forward, hopefully, to him coaching the Chiefs for many more years. Stop it. Knock it off. I hope that this ends the Andy Reid retirement conversations. It is made up. It is not real. It is imaginary. Andy Reid is coming back as the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. You are the CEO of one of the best and most well-run organizations in sports. You consistently play in big games and win them. You've got a great quarterback, great fan base, great ownership group. You're not retiring right now if you're Andy, if you're in great health. We'll know when it's the end with Andy Reid. But I am here to tell you, it is not in seven days. We're not getting the tweet coming across our timeline that Andy Reid, oh, in a big shock, no. Andy's coming back. He's going to be the coach next year. He will probably be the coach the year after that, and the year after that. When Andy gets to 70, I'm happy to re-examine this conversation. Hey, Andy, you know Bill Belichick. He retired at 71. Pete Carroll, he's 65 years old. Again, I don't know the man's health, but everything appears to be on the up and up. So I am happy that today Clark Hunt sat down with Alex Gold and Cody Tapp and Drew Nixon and had this conversation and put this to rest. Let's go ahead and put the Travis Kelsey retirement rumors to rest, too. Because they really started to pop up and creep up over the last three months or so. And I get it. His brother is retiring. His girlfriend is a billionaire superstar. You can ride off in the sunset, John Elway style. This one's for John. You win your Super Bowl. You retire. You do what Peyton Manning did. You did what Elway did. You're done. Travis Kelsey's coming back. I don't know how you could hear his tone yesterday at Super Bowl Media Day and hear the voice of someone that this is their last football game. He sounds to be very fired up about playing football and very excited to be on this team and a part of this organization. I thought Travis Kelsey was a superstar yesterday at Super Bowl Media Day. I've been on a mission ever since I won my first Super Bowl. Uh, we, we made it back to, to the Super Bowl the year after 2019, obviously lost to the, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, that's motivated me to get back to this point right here. So um, you'll hear me say this a lot, but I want this one more than I've ever wanted a, a Super Bowl in my life. And it's because of uh, the type of team we have, the people that we have in this thing, but also because that tier of uh, teams that have done it twice have uh, gone down in history as uh, some of the greats. You hear that? Does that sound like somebody who is taking their final lap, their swan song? If the Chiefs win this Super Bowl and they have a chance to go three in a row for the first team in league history 
And Patrick Mahomes can put something on his resume that Tom Brady couldn't, that Joe Montana couldn't, that Terry Bradshaw, that any of the greats. You don't think that Travis Kelsey wants to be a part of that? For an organization that we all feel very confident is going to spend some money in free agency at wide receiver, for a team that we think could spend a high draft pick to go get you more help, we think that Travis Kelsey is retiring at the end of the season. You know what Travis is going to do? He's going to go to 17 Eras Tour shows over the summer. And I'm guessing it's going to be great. You get to be there. You get to hear the new music. You get to support your girl like she supported you. And Travis Kelsey is going to have an amazing summer. And he's going to come back ready to play football. That's what I guess. I saw a tight end who seems really rejuvenated in the last three weeks. This has been the best version of Travis Kelsey these last three weeks, and you're going to give him another bye heading into another Super Bowl? I think we are in line for another massive day from Travis Kelsey on Sunday. Another eight catches, 95 yards, and two touchdowns, one of those kind of days. The last time that we saw Travis Kelsey get a little bit of rest, he came back a completely different player. You're going to give him two weeks of rest in the last month of the season? I'm expecting Travis Kelsey to be active early. I'm expecting Travis Kelsey to be involved often in Kansas City's offense. There's one more thing that I want to say, I guess, about yesterday's Super Bowl media day. We're going to be joined by Dustin Colquitt coming up in a little bit. I know that you guys may be tired of hearing about Travis Kelsey and his relationship with Taylor Swift. But I think that Travis Kelsey deserves a whole lot of credit. I'm just going to guess that it's really, really difficult to be Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Not just due to her. I mean, all the conversation and hoopla that surrounds her. Think of a relatively famous person. Like Julia Roberts. First famous woman that pops in my mind. Let's say that he was in a relationship with Dua Lipa. Very famous. It wouldn't be like this. You could have a normal relationship. You know, you guys could go out. You could go do stuff. You know, there's famous people that are in relationships. This is unlike any relationship right now in the country. Constantly talked about. Constantly in the spotlight. 24-7. Everything you do. Where did you eat? How is your hair cut? Yesterday, Travis Kelsey who could be the most accomplished player ever at his position in the National Football League, has to sit there and answer questions from hundreds of people that do not care a lick about his football career and simply want to ask him about his relationship. Rob, in the last relationship he was in, he was the breadwinner. He was the famous one. Now you're with somebody who is 10 times more accomplished and 10 times the earner that you are. And Travis Kelsey has handled it like an absolute pro. I see why their relationship works. He doesn't seem unfazed by any of this. He seems very much cool and collected in the same Travis Kelsey that we have seen have media availabilities for over 10 years here in Kansas City. He doesn't seem to be too caught up into the limelight and the spotlight and the new interest in his personal life. 
He's up there. He's sitting there. He looks like a politician. He's answering questions. He's being super complimentary. He's still the same Travis Kelsey encouraging the other team to boo. He's answering questions from this little 11-year-old kid. He's playing that to a T. I thought Travis Kelsey looked like an absolute star yesterday. And I'm just going to guess that it's not easy to be in his situation, that it's probably pretty stressful at times, that there were things that Travis Kelsey could do just eight months ago that are just not part of his life anymore. And that him and his old girlfriend or any other relationship that he was in, you know what they could just do on a Friday? They could just go somewhere in Kansas City and go grab a drink. And people really wouldn't bother him. You go up to him, you've seen him. But if you've been out in Kansas City for any amount of time, you've seen Travis Kelsey out and about. You can't do any of those things anymore. They're taking video of you when you go take your trash out. They're taking video of you when you go to... Trader Joe's, and you're just trying to get some ice cream. I give Travis Kelsey a lot of credit for how he's handled the last six to eight months and the whirlwind that has surrounded his personal life. And yesterday, on the most intensive media day that you will have as a football player, I thought he handled it like an absolute superstar. I thought he handled it A-plus yesterday. It was really cool to see the way he handled everything yesterday. Coming up on the other side, I've got a couple of toss-ups as we get you ready for a toss-up Tuesday. We'll also be joined by Dustin Colquitt. We are going to have former members of the 2020 Kansas City Chiefs. They're going to join us and tell stories about their first Super Bowl. That's coming up. Keep it right here. So drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this. On 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. The home of the Royals is 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we'll be joined by Dustin Colquitt. Future Chiefs Ring of Honor. Am I allowed to call him that? I'm going to see what he thinks about that. Because I think one day he's going to be in the Chiefs Ring of Honor. I wonder if he thinks about one day being in the Chiefs Ring of Honor. Are you excited for Dustin Colquitt Day at... Arrowhead Stadium. Do you think he'll have his own bobblehead doll? They got to do that. I mean, have they done a bobblehead for any of the more recent guys? They need to. Like, did Tim Grunhard get a bobblehead? I know he. I don't know if you can give football fans a bobblehead. It might end up terribly for everybody. Mm -hmm. You can you can give the baseball fan the bobblehead. You give the football fan the bobblehead for a week seven game against the Chargers. Who knows what'll happen? Is Dustin Cole going to be the first player to play with Patrick Mahomes being the Ring of Honor? Ooh, that's a good one. Had to look it up. I don't know. That's a great question. We got to ask Dustin Colquitt that question coming up in a little bit. We're going to be joined by various players who were on the 2019 Chiefs who went to the first Super Bowl for the organization since 1970. Dustin Colquitt was on that team. We'll get his stories from the Super Bowl. So today is Tuesday, and you know that we love alliteration on this show. You know, we used to do Tinder Tuesday. But today, Rob, I am in the mood for a toss-up Tuesday. Hit me. Toss-up. Both of these players have an over-under of six and a half catches in Sunday's Super Bowl. Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice. Who do you think is more likely to go over on Sunday? Do you think it's Travis Kelsey or Rasheed Rice over six and a half catches? Ooh, that's really good. I'm going to take, take Travis Kelsey because I think the Ravens' defense is superior to the Niners defense and Travis Kelsey just went out and put an all world performance against the Ravens defense and against Kyle Hamilton, who is one of the better safeties, if not the best safety in the NFL. 
So I will take Travis Kelsey because I think they're going to target him early and often. And I know when the spotlight is the brightest, like the AFC title game or Super Bowls of the past, Travis Kelsey will not shrink in that moment. Of the two, I would take him. I also think the strength of the Niners, secondary at least, is their corners. So a tight end has a higher probability to eat, as the kids would say. So give me Kelsey in that scenario. So, so far this postseason, Rasheed Rice has had 25 targets in the three games. They have really made it a point to get him the football. With this six and a half, he would have hit the over in two of their three postseason games. He would have hit the over against Miami. He also would have hit the over against the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC Championship game. I think the answer is Travis Kelsey just because of the kind of postseason player that we know him to be. I know that he's going to be a focal point of their offense, and I expect him to get the ball, probably get two to three targets on that first drive. I think we know that their first 15, they're really, really good. They're going to get some points on that first drive. You don't get points without really highlighting Travis Kelsey. So I think you could be in a situation in which Travis Kelsey has two or three catches on that first series of the game. And now you got seven, eight other possessions to just hope that he gets you three to four catches. I like the Travis Kelsey over. Now the juice on that thing is a lot. So from a financial standpoint, it's probably better to take Rasheed Rice because you're not playing nearly the vig that you would be on Travis Kelsey. But I actually like both of them to hit their over just because of the formula that I am so big on. If this team is going to beat San Francisco, they're going to beat them because of Isaiah Pacheco, Rasheed Rice, Travis Kelsey, and they're going to get a big contribution from one other offensive player or one other player makes a big play for them, whether it's in special teams or the pass game. Who could that potentially be? Which leads me to my next toss-up. Both MVS and Justin Watson have an over-under of one-and-a-half catch. Who do you think is more likely to hit the over in Super Bowl 58? Is it Marquez Valdez-Scanling or Justin Watson over under one and a half catches? If you had asked me at any time this question before this week, I would have told you the easy money is Justin Watson. But MVS seems to have had a renaissance in the postseason. He hit the number against the Bills. He would have hit the number. He hit the over in yards because of the late catch against the Ravens. I think he was good in the last Niners matchup, the one that Bink always talks about from last year. So I'm going to take Mr. Applebee's two for 20 to be over one and a half catches. I also think part of this game is usage. MVS is on the field a lot. It was something we complained a lot about throughout the course of the season. Why is he out there running cardio and not doing anything? But when you're on the field as often as he is, I think you fall into two catches. So I will take Mr. Applebee's for over one and a half catches. I'm going to take Mr. Applebee's two. I'm going to take the two for 20. You're right about there being a renaissance with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I mean, so far this postseason, Marquez Valdez-Scantling has been the X factor that this team needs. He had 62 yards receiving against Buffalo. He also had 38 yards receiving against Baltimore, in which he had maybe the biggest catch of the game that sealed it and got this team another invite to the Super Bowl. So he has five catches in their three games. I do think it's going to be tight. I don't think he gets three or four catches in this game. The one and a half is perfect. I'm going to take the over with Marquez Valdez-Scanling. I'm going to do it. I feel like they've somewhat phased Justin Watson out of this thing. 
that, hey, that was a really good like midseason thing to do. That's not really where they're going. I mean, he didn't have a catch in the Buffalo game and only had one catch uh, in the AFC Championship game against Baltimore. Is he going to get enough opportunities to potentially make a play? I would fade Justin Watson or just not touch it at all, and I would take MVS. i take his over at two and a half. These three San Francisco 49ers, their reception no number is at four and a half. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and Christian McCaffrey. Which of these do you think is most likely to hit their over? They're all at four and a half. Ayuk, Samuel, and Christian McCaffrey. I'm going to give you a free bet here. Who are you taking the over on? I'm going to take Debo. Debo is, I know Brock Purdy's absence was, uh, not Brock Purdy's, Debo's absence affected Brock Purdy, but it wasn't just him. Trent Williams was out for a partial time. There are other people that were missing in those games, but the numbers are staggering. When Debo Samuel was out, Brock Purdy was, he was what everyone thinks he is. Very average. I don't know. He was even very average. He looked like a seventh round pick. He looked like a guy who was just trying to tread water and get through a spot start. He wasn't very good. But when Debo's on the field, Brock Purdy looks like a viable NFL quarterback, still a game manager, but he looks like he belongs on the field. Debo's game against Philadelphia stands out. Debo's game against the Lions stands out. So I think the Niners, the same way the Chiefs are going to target Travis Kelsey early and often, are going to have that same mindset for Debo Samuel. Little quick, you know, those little push passes, which count as passes, make tunnel screens, things of that nature, get him the ball in space. So I will take Debo for over four and a half. You know what? I'm actually going to take Christian McCaffrey in this just because I think his usage is going to be a little bit higher. So when they played Baltimore earlier this year, he got 10 targets. When they played Green Bay in the second round of the postseason, he had 12 targets in the game, had five against the Detroit Lions. I just think that the volume is going to be there with Christian McCaffrey. And if you are San Francisco, he's your pathway to winning this game. You probably need Christian McCaffrey to get at least 20 rush attempts, and he probably has to have five catches in this game. You probably need to figure out a way to get 25 touches for Christian McCaffrey against this defense and really to take the pressure off Brock Purdy. I like Christian McCaffrey's over a four and a half here. I would probably stay away from Brandon Ayuk. I think he, I think Ayuk's role in this game is going to be similar to what it was against the Lions. He's probably going to have an opportunity to make two big pass plays downfield. So I could see him having like three catches for 70 yards and he just gets 50 yards on one catch. But just based on how this team is done against wide receivers, I'm not really worried about Brandon Ayuk being a terrorist in that way. Debo can just because there's so many different ways to get him the football. They've done a good enough job for me to think that Brandon Ayuk isn't getting six or seven catches in this game. They've pretty much locked this up. Also, I I don't know the game plan. Me and Spags haven't sat down and chatted about it, but my presumption is that Snead is shadowing Brandon Ayuk. The numbers are pretty staggering when Legereus Sneed shadows a wide receiver. A.J. Brown did nothing. Tyreek Hill did nothing twice, basically. I mean, receiver after receiver has fallen into Legereus Sneed land and has not been able to come through. I think that's going to be Ayuk, so I would be not touching that bet at all. So over the course of today's show, we are going to be joined by former teammates of Patrick Mahomes, players that were on the Super Bowl team in 2019, to get their stories and also ask them questions about Patrick Mahomes. First up, we have Dustin Colquitt, who one day will be in the Chiefs' ring of honor. He's set to join us coming up on the other side. Don't turn that drive. We're getting you ready for Super Bowl 58 here on 610 Sports Radio. 
You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Remember to follow the show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. This is The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Our big game coverage is brought to you by Community America Credit Union. Community America Credit Union is proud to be the exclusive banking partner of the Kansas City Chiefs. Get your Chiefs checking account, including the exclusive Chiefs debit card at ChiefsChecking.com. We are very happy over the course of today's show to catch up with various teammates of Patrick Mahomes, also players on the 2019 team that beat the San Francisco 49ers Four years ago in the Super Bowl. Let's head to the phone lines right now. Be joined by Dustin Colquitt joining us on the show today. Dustin, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks a bunch. Absolutely. How's it going today? Doing great, man. Let's just start with this. Whenever you think back to that time in your life and going to the Super Bowl, this organization's first time since 19, uh, 1970, what are some memories? What are some stories that come back to you? Yeah, I just think like the kind of the process. Really, you have this massively emotional uh, moment in Arrowhead like two weeks prior that, you know, we hadn't had a AFC championship there and it dons our, you know, owner's name, obviously. And just to see like the siblings and their grandkids and like Norma and, you know, all these people that really just picked up shop in Dallas and said, we're going to make it in what then was known as kind of a cow town in Kansas city, a uh, small market, you know, definitely going to be a small market. You can't, the NFL wouldn't let them do it in Dallas. And so just to pick up and then kind of seeing that come to, you know, total fruition in Arrowhead stadium on that night, two weeks before the big, big game that we're talking about here today, that was kind of the most overwhelming and emotional part about it, which I'm glad because that ended up being like a lot bigger uh, than once you get to the Super Bowl. Just because then you're like, hey, we made it this far. Let's punch the ticket and just win everything here. And so really it was awesome having that unique experience like with our fans in our stadium, um, you know, winning in front of them for the first time. And there's such like a hungry SEC type, you know, crowd barbecuing and, you know, just just everything that everybody knows about Kansas City football just wrapped into a to an awesome Sunday it was just a special moment. Dustin, how rewarding was it the fact that you guys had lost the AFC championship game a year prior to that in a heartbreaking fashion? You guys never get an opportunity in overtime to win the game. And then the next season, you guys get that same opportunity again, and you're able to cash it in and go to the Super Bowl. It was awesome. And, you know, I I see like throughout the course of this year, you know, a lot happened on a couple of those plays. One, like the lining up offsides, which we saw a little bit, you know, this year with, you know, a couple different times with Tony and just like the phantom, I'm waiting to throw this flag right now. Um, not going to even warn the player type deal. And then the, the for Chris Jones has this, you know, just basically wiping Brady's nose and gets a flag for it. And so there's a lot of emotional things that happen um, in, in that game. And so to be able to kind of punch that ticket, kind of get the proverbial monkey off our backs in our own place, in front of our own stands, and then really what it's kind of led to. I think that's the funnest kind of thing. Not a lot of teams get back, you know, to the Super Bowl the next year. They have that Super Bowl slump. There wasn't one. I know we didn't win that, but we were able to, through free agency, 
um, and the draft, like build an unbelievable offensive line and really key players down the stretch stretch that has allowed us to compete for championships here the last, you know, two, three years at a high level and the whole world's watching. Right now, we're talking to Dustin Colquitt, drafted by the Chiefs in 2005 in the third round, pick 99, played his time in Kansas City from 2005 to 2019, was the punter for the Kansas City Chiefs, won a Super Bowl four years ago for the Chiefs as they beat the San Francisco 49ers. Dustin, how crazy is it that four years later they're playing the exact same team that you went up against in the Super Bowl? You know, it's wild, um, and it says a lot of what uh, Lynch has been able to do over there in the 49ers, very similar to, you know, how uh, the inner workings and the very kind of fabric and common thread that we started with Andy Reid and John Dorsey and, um, you know, obviously before that uh, with Mark Donovan in on the business side of things and what they've been able to carve out and create in Kansas City and to kind of be back and now say like, hey, same team, uh, same, you know, huge game, I think it's it, it, it speaks. You know, obviously we have a lot of our core players back that played in that game, and so I love the experience side of things that we have going into this game. You know, for Chiefs Kingdom, you know they're all going. We travel. You know, I remember, you know, growing up, getting in 2005. I love watching how the Patriots and the Steelers and Dallas Cowboys and like these these folks would travel, and we've turned into that. The Chiefs Kingdom is is on the road now, man. They they stra- they. They strap it up. They go wherever they can, wherever the Chiefs are playing. And so, you know, this is going to be an awesome Super Bowl just to kind of relive, like, you know, we're we're down 10 with seven to go. We throw a a pick, and he comes back, and and what he's done here the last, like, five, six years uh, in his NFL career has been so much fun to watch Pat and for him to be active in free agency and in the draft process and and Andy read anything he draws up that he and Travis can do and then with Spags coming in and I think that was one of the biggest maneuvers that I saw that really corrected our ship is you know getting a, a guy that's bigger than life that uh, you know I, one thing about Spags I'm probably going off on a tangent here but like I'm not even the punter anymore at a banquet in Kansas City last year and I talked to him for a couple minutes and he gets pulled and couple different directions and i get a week a a, a text a week later hey i'm so sorry i didn't get to spend enough time with you you know how we get pulled in different directions and i was there on the behalf of chris jones and just wanted to say we miss you and what's up and you're like god andy has such and and brett mark they people gravitate to them and people want to come into the kansas city organization and that's why we keep we have the best people we have really good players we spend 106 plus percent of our cash and we got guys that go to work every day trying to stay in that building and keep it intact. So I'm super pumped to watch this game again, repeat times two. I was just going to ask you that. I mean, you certainly have been here in Kansas City through the ups and the downs. I mean, you started in 2005. You, your first head coach was was Dick Vermeil. So you saw a lot in your time in Kansas City. You mentioned Pittsburgh and the Cowboys and the Niners. How cool is it to know that you were a part of one of those dynasties in your career? That was awesome. And obviously the front end of it and uh, just feel just blessed that, you know, I got to win a championship in my last before they kind of let me ride into the sunset. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, Dick Ramil really started things out by coming to Kansas city and building the building offense and offensive line that he did 
He had checks and balances and Tony Gonzalez, which, which could go up just like Travis Kels and really kind of manage a game and be like that, you know, uh, basketball player going up for, you know, like a big man down in the paint. That's what I think about those two guys. And when Dick was there, he handed us all a card that said the main thing will always be the main thing. And he said, put it in your wallet. You know, we're going to do some wallet checks. If you don't have them in there, you're not fully invested in this program. And I thought that was cool because just like Kansas City has that college-like SEC atmosphere, Dick Vermeil obviously had that for all of his players. He's known as a player's coach, so is Andy. And that's because both of those men, and they're men, they're like father figures for all of us that have come and played that program, is they want you to be better men when you walk out of there. And they know how to treat everybody the same, differently. All the different personalities. Andy's famous saying is let your personality show. And Dick was the same way. And he goes, I got to think about this, how to, how to, how to, you know, crack down on this guy or how to, how to, you know, bottle this and manage this person during the season, because he knew that everybody responded differently. And that's what uh, that this organization, the Kansas city chiefs, I can be proud of because I've watched, you know, men at the helm, you know, down through, especially with those two guys that we're talking about currently, like right now, and everybody that they've hired are guys that they know how to manage the athletes that they need to kind of push and get on the highest stage, which is coming up here on Sunday. Right now we're talking to Dustin Colquitt, drafted by the Chiefs in 2005. He was a third-round pick, pick 99, played from the Chiefs from 05 to 2019. He is a Super Bowl champion, a two-time Pro Bowler, just getting his stories about being on the first Chiefs Super Bowl team since 1970. Dustin, you grow up watching football. What is it like to grow up watching and following the Super Bowl until one day you are playing in the Super Bowl? Yeah, that's that's a great question. It's, you know, it's a – obviously a dream come true and just like a lot of pressure off of <laughs> my whole life. Once I finally won, cause my dad won too with, you know, mean Joe green and Jack Lambert and Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I, I got to see those rings kind of growing up. And I remember even like I was seven, my brother's four at one point, and my dad comes in and I don't know if he was what, he was having one of those weeks or whatever he he said hey got sat me down i think we were watching a big tennessee game um and he was like hey you know one day he brought these rings out and he goes one day when i die you guys are going to get these rings and so that was kind of always the thing in our house is like hey if you work hard if you put it in like good things will come and good things will happen and that's a combination of everything going on in kansas city and how you see the, the model that they're using is working so efficiently. And I remember him saying like, one of you, you guys are each going to get this ring when I die. Didn't think anything of it. You know, at the time rings didn't mean too much to me to be in seven, but my four-year-old brother went back to him a couple hours later and said, dad, when are you going to die? Like he was interested in what it took to get to where my dad did. And so that I definitely used that throughout the course of like all of my playing days, whether I was baseball track and then basketball, eventually football, when, when that took over for me in high school. Um, and I was fortunate enough to play at the University of Tennessee under Coach Philip Fulmer, which you know came out to practice one day and said, Dustin, I want you to punt every single day, just like somebody's coming to practice to watch you play, to watch you punt. That's it. And so very early on, he was instilling in me that every day matters if we have the ultimate goal of winning a national championship, in this case, the Chiefs, you know, when you go through the combine and the senior bowl and all this is what they've been the best at is the talent evaluation and how, what puzzle are you? a You are a puzzle piece, but does it fit in our system? 
and that's what they have nailed and and why it's it's so much fun kind of being a part of winning a super bowl so i don't my brother won one and all of a sudden now i'm the brother that doesn't you're the are you the brother that doesn't have a super bowl and i'm like yes i thought i was going to say that the rest of my life so i'm thankful to god and the organization and the hunts for you know pulling that train from dallas to kansas city throwing up a chief's flag and saying this is chief's kingdom everybody who's crazy about football come and join us Right now, we're talking to Dustin Colquitt for a couple of more minutes here. Dustin, you saw a lot of quarterbacks in your time in Kansas City. Was there that moment where you realized that Pat was different than any other quarterback that you've had? That you've had? Yeah, of course. And it was, I mean, that I remember being at practice just his rookie year and training camp. You know, you kind of see like, you know, strokes of brilliance where you can kind of like see this guy put just like in the, in the, in the, in the size of like a little basketball, this dart that you know a cornerback would turn around and it's already in the receiver's hands and you're like man this guy's pretty good and then you know three four weeks in when they're going ones on twos twos being the defense ones being excuse me ones being our off our our defense and twos being our offense Patrick like really kind of starting to shred them up and so much so that like I told the specialist I was like hey we're not going to go in and work out on these days during practice. We need to, we need to watch what's going on. This is different. Like that's, and, and just the way he was like before, like Alex had the reins of all of this stuff. And so Mahomes would come back and kind of sit on our table and talk with Sherman and the specialists and Kels. And he had kind of like a table. He wasn't at the table yet. And it was fun watching him morph into who he is today and doesn't change. I mean, the kid answers texts. He goes to hospital events. He does everything that that you're that you're supposed to, but he wants to do. Not supposed to. He wants to do these things. And I saw that early on in practice and walking in, going like, man, I I don't know if I'm going to work out during practice anymore because I just want to watch what's going on. This is this. If he does this in the game, it's going to get really interesting. So that was fun watching him become the player that he is. You know, really in that first year when he was running the number two offense. Right now, we're talking to Dustin Colquitt for a couple more minutes. Dustin, one thing I want to get your opinion on, you had a great career here in Kansas City. I think that one day you will be in the Chiefs' ring of honor. Do you ever think about that? Do you think you'll one day be in the Chiefs' ring of honor? I don't know. I don't know how that how the, how that works, if there's, like, voting or fan voting or stuff, but I will mail everybody checks if that's a fan vote thing. I just need addresses. Um if that's just an organizational thing or like time overall, I, I talked to Clark, you know, when I was released and um, trying to figure out if I was going to keep playing or whatever the deal is, he said, Hey man, your, your clock starts now. And I'm looking forward to you being in that ring. And so, I mean, like if, if it's just him voting, I, I'm pretty sure I have his vote, but you know, that would be something special for me and my family and everybody to, to do. It's, it wasn't like the goal. My goal was, really to anybody that on third down that got pissed off that we didn't convert to a first down and left. I just wanted to be one more down that they would sit in their seats and watch me punt before they get a beer. That was like, cause I'm from East Tennessee. And so that was like my dad, when we were watching football games growing up, I remember we would be doing stuff the, the entire game and my mom or dad or uncles or whoever was over like, Hey, Hey, hey there's a punt. There's a punt. And everybody come in and watch and be like, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, that was a good punt. And then we kind of go back to doing what we're doing. So, like, punting was life. Kind of sounds like a Ted Lasso thing. 
And but for us, punting, kicking, the specialist fourth down was life. And so to be in to to just be a fourth down player and to kind of grace hallowed ground, which is Arrow Stadium, Arrowhead Stadium, like that would be. I don't know how I'd react to that. I think I'd have to be like kind of carried off the like carried off the field because I'm passed out, not because I scored a touchdown. But like it would be super meaningful because a lot, like you said, a lot of crazy stuff happened in that organization, you know, from '05 to present. And you know, I saw a lot of growth from people just on all all different sides of the operations and uh, just the hunts coming in for business meetings on Fridays. I mean, that was like. You know, you get to, in that small town environment, you get to see all those people coming and going about their day. And that was really special. So, yeah, if my name gets up there, I mean, that's that would be wild. That is Dustin Colquitt joining us on the show today. He played for the Chiefs from 2005 to 2019. He was a fan favorite. And I think we can call him friend of the drive. I always appreciated catching up with Dustin Colquitt. Dustin, I don't know how they do the fan vote either, but if they are having a fan vote for the Chiefs Ring of Honor, you've got mine. I appreciate you coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, as always. Absolutely. That's Dustin Colquitt joining us on the show today to tell us stories about the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs as we get ready for Super Bowl 58. He was in the last Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the Niners. Coming up in a little bit, we will be joined by another member of the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs. Really excited to do this as we are inching, inching closer to the game. One thing that I noticed in talking to Dustin Colquitt that I think is really, really important. I love Kansas City with all of my heart. I imagine many of you feel the exact same way. Maybe you moved here from somewhere else and you fell in love with it. Maybe you were like me and you were just born here, that this is your home and this is where you want to be. It always excites me to hear other people who feel the same way about this place that I do. And I think you could hear it in the tone of Dustin Colquitt. As I was listening earlier today to Bobby Witt Jr., I got the sense that he feels the same way that I feel. Sure, he got a lot of money to continue to play for the Kansas City Royals, but the money was always going to be there. And Rob, you and I have followed the Royals long enough to see and hear that not everybody falls in love with the city or not everybody falls in love with being a Royal in that way. The Royals, from an on-the-field standpoint, have not given Bobby Witt Jr. many things to be excited about. But you could just hear it in his tone. You could hear it in his answers that he really appreciates and wants to be a part of the turnaround. He wants to be a part of something better in Kansas City. And you know what? I can live with that. It has not been good for the last five, six years of Royals baseball. But I do think that now there is sort of a cloud of optimism, an aura around this organization that I believe they are turning the corner. Now, they have to define what turning the corner is, and we'll get that information once the baseball season starts. I think this is the most important 45-game stretch that the Royals have had since winning the World Series. This team has to get off to a good start. And as much as some people have become jaded with the Kansas City Royals, part of sports fandom is you come right back. You come right back. I saw Kansas football be bad for 15 years They won three games early in the season. It sold out. Sports fans are some of the most resilient people that we have. It takes a lot for you to completely give up. 
and be completely done with your team. So if you're being honest with yourself and all the frustration that you have about the Royals, if the Royals start this season 7-2, and two, you will convince yourself that they can go to the playoffs because that's what being a sports fan is. I think for the first time in a while, the Royals have given you reasons to be hopeful and reasons to be optimistic. And as I was listening to Bobby Wood Jr. today, he had the same passion and civic pride that I do. He had the same passion and civic pride that I just heard from Dustin Colquitt. He had the same civic pride that many of you have about Kansas City. He is part of the solution to what they are trying to do over at Kauffman Stadium. Coming up at the top of the hour, we will continue our stories from the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs. Keep it right here. So drive. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's continue our stories from the 2019 Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the Niners. We're going to head to South Bend, Indiana and be joined by Dylan McCullough. He was the running back coach for the Chiefs back in 2019 as they went on to win the Super Bowl against the San Francisco 49ers. Dylan, we appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for hopping on. No, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Let's start with this because this has been a debate in Kansas City for some time. Patrick Mahomes got the first Super Bowl MVP, but a lot of people think that Damian Williams should have got the award. You are the running back coach. Who do you think should have won Super Bowl MVP? Um, I'm 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 partial to my guy, man. You know what? They, they did the replay here. I've been seeing the replay around three times since, you know, the matchup was confirmed, obviously, and I, I still give it to my boy D-Will, but I love Pat, man, so it's all good. As long as we want it, everything else, everything else, take a backseat to that. I'm sure by now you've heard the iconic call from Mitch Holtis oh, yeah. about the run to immortality. What kind oh, of yeah. feelings do you get when you go back and you see that moment and you see a guy that you coach, he has great success in the Super Bowl and, and helps clinch the victory for you guys? Well, it's emotional because, I mean, I, that season has so many ups and downs for Damian, you know, and just those relationships that – you have and camaraderie you build throughout the season and just seeing his struggle and then for him to be on the pinnacle of football and have a play like that, man, I was excited for him. 
How much did you and him bond just going back and reading your story? You were an undrafted running back. He was an undrafted running back. I would imagine that that brought you guys closer as you're trying to help him develop into a productive NFL player. Without a doubt. You know, I mean, you know, me and Damian and all the guys, but me and Damian had a great relationship, have a great, still have a great relationship that was forged not only in football and the struggle and the adversity and the level of perseverance we had to get to the ultimate goal which in my case was just making a team and his, you know, to show not only he can be a productive member of a team, but a feature player and and ultimately, shoot, you know, a, a guy who ran to immortality. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of tentacles in that, but man, I'm just so excited for him and just was so blessed to be part of that organization and definitely part of that win. Dylan, what's the difference in, you know, you had a great career, great college player, get a chance to play in the NFL. What's the difference in you having the personal success? And then you think about the time that you pour into a Damian Williams to then see him go out and have that success. It all go hand in hand. I mean, this, this is what I do this for, you know, it's just to, you know, put all this effort and put my emotion and just put, heart into these guys and to see them guys so grateful and appreciative and shoot, I get things from them too. I mean, Damien, all of these guys, I know we're talking about Damien right now, man, there's so many things I learned from him about standing up for yourself, about fighting for what you believe in, fighting for yourself, you know, and, and when you're given that opportunity, being able to show why you fought so hard. Right now, we're talking to Dylan McCullough. He was a running backs coach for Kansas City from 2018 to 2020. Just getting stories about the last Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the Niners. Dylan, how cool is it that four years later, these two teams are back at it in the Super Bowl? That is unbelievable, man. I'll tell you, I, I sat up, trust me, locked in. I remember I was out recruiting, and I made sure I booked my flight and everything to get to where I was going to early so I can sit down and relax and watch these games. So, just to see it unfold like this, man, is is really surreal, but it's going to be great to see this matchup. I know we hear this a lot, how coaches want to keep everything routine, and you know how football players are, very regimented. How unique is this week and the challenges that it poses than a regular week, whether it's a Monday night or Sunday night football? you got two weeks to prepare for a team. You get there far earlier than you do for a normal game. How do you keep everything normal in a scenario in which it's not normal? Well, it comes down to the leadership. And it's phenomenal leadership um, in the kingdom, without a doubt. You know, Coach Reed put together a great plan during the week as far as how guys' um, time and, and the structure and the schedule was put in place. And, and we all know during that first week is the meat and potatoes as far as putting all your stuff together, putting the plan, having it fine-tuned, et cetera, taking care of your tickets, doing all of that stuff. And then when you get out to the site, yeah, there's more – pomp and circumstance as far as media and this and opening night and all those things. But I mean, the guys, coach Reed and the rest of the staff um, put together a great plan as to how that flow would be. But I know one thing, all of the guys knew what the main thing was and they kept the main thing, the main thing, which is winning the game. Right now, we're talking to Dylan McCullough. He was the running backs coach for the Kansas City Chiefs the last time that they won the Super Bowl against the San Francisco 49ers. What is that moment of accomplishment where everything is over and you were just there by yourself and you realize as a team what you guys accomplished? I mean, it's emotional, you know, and, and the thing, you know, for myself and probably several other guys, you look at the Super Bowl, I know I did as something that was like, 
mythological, you know, just something like you just hear about or you just see it on TV. Like it's, it's something that happens on another planet, you know, and for you to sit there and be a part of it, a, 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 a integral part of it, you know, of great men and great players and a phenomenal organization. And then the way that the game played out, you know, was points in time in that game. We looking around like, okay, Hey, let's turn this light on fellas, or we're going to forever rest in peace, you know? So, I mean, it was, it was really good to, you know, and, and, and a great experience to be part of how that game was won. But as you sit there at the, at the end of it, and even I sit here several years later, and I go through my phone and look at all the things that are going on this week, man. You just miss it, and you cherish it even more. I've been asking people this over the last week and a half or so as the conversation about Pat being the greatest quarterback of all time is heated up again. You got a chance to see him and work with him every single day. Did you have that moment where you realized that he was special? I'm going to tell you what, and I've talked to guys about this here on the college level, just that first um, offseason OTAs, and I just remember, Pat, and I remember how much we were trying to complete long balls. I just remember, I, I, can, I, I swear I can count on maybe a couple fingers in OTAs how many long balls it was completed. And I was like, man, we're talking about this Pat Mahomes guy. We, got, we can't complete a long pass on air. It was just us, you know, it was just OTAs. But he came back that that training camp and was just phenomenal, and it showed me. And it's you know, hey, I'm low on the totem pole. He have to show me nothing, but it showed me the level of dedication and work that he put into being the phenomenal quarterback that we see right now. I just seen how that his game changed, how his how he put the time in with the receivers, how it was that important to him to show that on this stage and 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 with all of the confidence that people had in him and he was going to show that he was worth it. So, man, just phenomenal player. What you see on TV is real, um, genuine. He, the way he operates in the locker room is unbelievable. The leadership he has is unparalleled. And I'm telling you, I, I wasn't seeing him in the spring when I was out recruiting in Kansas, Kansas, yeah, in Kansas City, obviously. And just, man, I, that same light is in his eye. This guy want to win again. I know that. Dila, I'm sure that you get asked a lot of Patrick Mahomes stories. Who's the other player that you get asked about? I imagine it's a lot of Travis stories now, given his relationship. But who is that player other than Pat that that kids want to hear about? Well, it, it was Tyreek. You know, I mean, you know, guys wanted to hear, you know, wanted to hear about just how he worked and different things like that. But I mean, I just tell them how the whole organization works. A lot of people ask about Coach Reed. You know, how he come up with these plays and different things like that. You know, obviously Pat would just. Um, the 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 unbelievable throwing angles that what you throw the ball and I tell him that he practiced that. I mean, he actually practiced doing those things. What you seen wasn't just the first time thing in the game. He in, you know he involved that and, and and practiced it and became really refined at doing it. So, um, but those are the guys. You know, Travis. It was Tyreek for a little bit. Um, Coach Reed, and then um, and then obviously Pat. Right now, we're talking to Dylan McCullough. He was a running backs coach for the Chiefs when they won their first Super Bowl since 1970 against the San Francisco 49ers four years ago. I now want to ask you about two current players. I want to ask you about Isaiah Pacheco. I was trying to think of who he reminds me of, just the way that his run, the way that he plays, his energy. I can't find that comparison. What do you think about Isaiah Pacheco and just watching him play? Man, I'm going to tell you what. He, he, I, I, I love to coach him. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's the that's the guy right cut from cut from the mold that I love, 
you know, I mean, run extremely angry, violent, um, run with great vision, great body lean, um, ball security, pad level. I mean, all of these terms that you that you really like and the things that you like about a high-end running back. So um, I don't know a comparison. I, I really don't know one, man, but shoot. That puts him on the – you know, I put him on the top of the pyramid as far as guys who run that way. And what you want is you just want him to continue to play that way, you know, take care of his body and, and have a, a long, prosperous career. But in the meantime, man, he got to put it all on the line here in a few days and let's go get it done. And then on the flip side, Christian McCaffrey, you coached in the Pac-12 for a while. I imagine this is a player that you've seen grow up. You probably run into his father. You've seen him come up at Stanford and now in the National Football League and now becoming maybe the best running back in the league. Yes. So when I was in Kansas City, we played Carolina. And I remember I was just telling Clyde, it might have been, actually it was Clyde's rookie year. And I said, man, just watch this guy. I already studied tape on him. I knew what the deal was with with Christian. And we just watched him. He's a phenomenal player. And, and again, it's a testament to him and his offseason program and just the way he takes care of himself that he's still playing at this high level even at this point. You know, you you feel like you've been in the league forever, you know. Um, but the, the, the bottom line is he continues to recreate himself through his nutrition and just the way he can, you know, works out and does what he needs to do. He's in a phenomenal system, you know, man. But you can't do anything but tip your cap to him. But we got to go get him on, on, on Sunday. We got to shut him down. Absolutely. Last question here, Dylan. I'm just going to guess that sometimes, just as a college coach, kids don't listen. I would just show my ring every time a kid's not listening. Like, you're telling them, hey, you should do this. Like, no, nah, I don't want to do it that way. I would just pull out that Super Bowl ring, and I'm imagining they listen every single time. Yeah, the Super Bowl ring helps, you know. Uh, it, it, and one thing that was pretty cool that when I got here and I got, you know, just those relationships I had with all of them guys, Shady and Le'Veon and Coach Reed and all of these backs, Damien, these guys sent a, a, a pretty cool video for me. And I use it, and it's like a drop-the-mic moment out recruiting, that these guys are just saying all these things. And Coach Reed saying things like, hey, if you're trying to go to the NFL, there's nobody better. Just all of these these things based on having an impact not only on the Chiefs but on the players' lives that they talk about and that impact on and off the field. So, yeah, when you flash the ring, that that says one thing. But when you're hearing things out of actual players' mouths, that kind of dropped the mic right there. That is Dylan McCullough joining us on the show today. He was the running back coach for the Chiefs for 2018 to 2020. He now is at Notre Dame, one of the top programs in college football, joining us to tell his stories about the 2019-2020 Super Bowl as the Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers four years ago. Dylan, it was great having you and listening to your stories. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Dylan McCullough joining us on the show today. I mean, that recruiting story sounded really good, Rob. I just don't want him using that whenever he's, you know, one-on-one against Missouri. That's what you pull out when you're trying to beat Kansas and Lance Leipold. You know what I mean? Because y'all always, oh, we could have got Najee Harris. Oh, we could have got Jamar Chase. That's when Dylan McCullough comes in with the, hey, I used to coach, you know, future Hall of Famers. You know, I've won a Super Bowl. That's when he should then pull out his recruiting advantages, not when he's recruiting a kid from St. Louis. Like, we don't, we don't need that kind of energy in Missouri. Keep it a far away from us, man. So you don't want him in a battle for, I don't, I don't know, is there a, is like a williams Dewanery type player? You don't want him being no. like, yo, I've won a Super Bowl. It's a heads yeah, up. Yeah, why, why are you even recruiting those kind of players? Stay away from those kind of players. Those aren't the players you need at Notre Dame. Stay away from them.
you know what, just stay away from Missouri and the Illinois area. Find another place in the country to recruit to Notre Dame. You already got enough advantages. We don't need that, man. Coming up on the other side, this could be Rob and I's last week together. I'm going to tell you why that Rob and I could be headed for a breakup. That's coming up. Keep it right here. It's a drive. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. The only place in town to hear the hypothetical button game is on The Drive with Carrington Harrison. All right. There are a couple toss-ups that I would like to get to. But Rob and I have a little bit of beef with each other. Yesterday, as I'm watching the KU and K-State game, You know that we get Sonic commercials. You know, Sonic very prevalent in the Midwest. There was a commercial for a Sonic item that I had not seen before. So Sonic is rolling out new pulled pork barbecue sandwiches. So it is a cheese. It is their normal cheeseburger. And they're topping it with a little bit of pulled pork. 
they also are selling their famous tater tots, and they're putting some cheese on it. They're putting a little barbecue sauce. They're also drizzling it in the pulled pork. Yesterday was the first day that Sonic started selling these items. Now, I would expect someone from, I don't know, Seattle, Washington to be excited about this. I would understand somebody in Tempe, Arizona might be excited about the new pulled pork sandwich at Sonic. Rob texted me during the game because he saw my tweet, and I said that if you order the pulled pork sandwich from Sonic, it is diabolical behavior. And Rob sent me my tweet and said I would try it. Now, I know Rob's fiance. She is great. But I started questioning if everything was right at home because that is a cry for help. If you, born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, would go to Sonic and say, hey, I want to try you guys pulled pork. Something is not right. You were not well. And you need to speak to somebody. Rob, tell me that you were joking. You would go to Sonic right now and get the pulled pork cheeseburger. That's what you were telling me you would do. You know I'm down to try new things and give From everything, Sonic? Give everything a, a puncher's chance, a little flavor of life. I like pulled pork. I actually like Sonic. I would try this. I'm not saying I'd be like, I'm, you know, all in the same way I was excited that, you know, Torchy's Tacos or Whataburger was coming to town. But if you say, hey, Rob, it's a Royals Day game. We got spring training coming up, whatever have you. Let's go me and you. Let's try this. I wouldn't say no. I'd be like, all right, cool. Let's go see if it's any good. I think like everything in life, it's worthy of trying. My brother, it's from Sonic. Sonic does some things well. I like Sonic. If you're going to get a chili dog, fine. If you're going to get a burger, if you're going to get one of their delicious desserts, Phenomenal. Rob, you live in Kansas City. So you're telling me that you were willing to drive past world-famous barbecue places that serve pulled pork, that would be happy to put that pulled pork onto a sandwich and drizzle it with barbecue sauce. And now you're telling me that you're up for trying the pulled pork at Sonic? Rob, what's going on? Got to give a shot. And then, hold on. This isn't even the craziest thing. So today I say, hey, I want to talk about this on the show. He's like, what about the Super Bowl? Don't worry. We'll get to it. And then Rob says to me, you've never had the brisket from Quick Trip? No. Why have you had the brisket from Quick Trip? Quick Drip is for gas. It's for drinks. It's for going to get cigarettes, scratch-off tickets. If you really want to get crazy, go get yourself a breakfast sandwich from there. Go get yourself a taquito. Go get yourself one of those little buffalo chicken things. Go get yourself a hot dog. You've ordered the brisket sandwich from Quick Trip? I mean, much like a hot dog. I was in the mood. I was in the mood. I was there. It was available. I ate it. It was quick trip food, so you know it was good. Is the brisket better at any of our barbecue establishments? Yeah, but was I at quick trip and had a hankering for barbecue and it was right there? Also, yes. 
The best ability is availability, and in that moment, the availability was me at Quick Trip. You got sidebar. Be, it was pretty good. You got to be down bad to get the brisket sandwich. You got to really be down bad. Someone said Carrington. If you ask anybody in the know, they will tell you this. But I deliver the meat for Jack Stack and the barbecue at Quick Trip. It's the same. Good text, person. See, I was really just eating Jack Stack at my local Quick Trip. I'm not. That's not. A, that's not a dice roll that I'm willing to take. It's not a dice roll. Not at all. I'm going to. If if you're telling me that it's the same, if that's what you're telling me, if you're telling me that it's the same as Jack Stack. Then why not just go to Jack Stack? Why not go? Because availability. I'm not going to get a reservation, go all the way to the one across town, sit, wait, get my table, order. You're taking up time, my guy. I was at Quick Trip. I was getting some gas. I was inside. Boom. Jack Stack sandwich in my hand. Someone on the text line says, CDOT, you sound a little privileged right now. How? We live in Kansas City, Missouri, home to the best barbecue in the world. Our barbecue is so good that your eighth favorite barbecue place would be the best restaurant in 85% of cities in America. Don't cheat yourself. Treat yourself. I'm not going in there and getting the brisket from Quick Trip. No. The same way that I'm not. I love crab. I love lobster. I'm not getting the McFish. Why? Why would I do that to myself? There's world. In- this sounds like a first class trip to the bathroom. There's space in this world for both, though, Carrington. No, no. There are Taco Bells in Texas. They exist. There are Taco Bells in Kansas City near the Taco Trail. They exist. Both can live in their own hemispheres. Is it better than regular barbecue? Of course not. But is it good considering it's a barbecue quick trip sandwich? Absolutely. Someone on the text line said, would you get uh, sushi from the gas station? All right, you're just you're asking for food poisoning now. You're asking for E. coli. Maybe I am privileged. I don't know. I, I didn't think that it was going to be this controversial of a stance on the text line. I thought y'all was going to ride with me. I can't believe you'll get a hot dog from Quick Trip. Yeah, a hot dog. Who knows what that's made of? Pig pieces. <laughs> it's and you're definitely big pieces. Coat it with ketchup, <laughs> mustard, and who knows what else? And you're going to walk away being like, I got a good meal, but heaven forbid I try the brisket. <laughs> no, definitely. I will definitely go in there and get a hot dog. I'll go get a hot dog when we leave. I'll go get a hot dog. Oh, I love they got the little station. You can put all the stuff on your dog. You can put the onions. You can put the little banana peppers. I put the spicy mustard on there. Oh, it's delicious. And yet someone else is making a first clip. First class trip to the bathroom, but you're getting a banana pepper hot dog from Quick Trip. Stop it! Someone said, "See that we're a blue collar town, bro. I don't, I don't want to be a part of any collar that's eating barbecue from Quick Trip. That's not or Sonic. That's not where I want to be. No, I think this is a fireable offense. <laughs> this is a fire. This is sick. Absolutely sick work. Rob, is this food you would take to the function? We no, got, no, we no, got no, a no. big game function no, no, coming no, 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 up. No. So hold on, let me ask you this. Let's say that Quick Trip did a special. They're going to be selling pulled pork sliders, and they're doing a deal. They're going to hand it to you in a tray. You can go in there, get your little Slurpee, get your 40 on pump three, and you can walk in there with the slider. 
No, no, no. I'm not doing that for I'm not doing that for the Super Bowl event party. But there's a chance I have to be up here Sunday night, do some work stuff, some behind the scenes things. I might pop over to Quick Trip, grab myself a brisket sandwich, and a late night snack before okay. coming up here. All right. Well. Find God. That's that's my advice to you. Please seek help. Someone said, Carrington, when you were in Joplin, you would have tried it. Not this bougie Kansas City Carrington. I just want better for your life. I was poor when I was in Joplin, too. I was making risky food choices back then. You didn't care about nutrition back in the day. You were just trying to eat. And the food that I was getting at Quick Trip wasn't too much different than the food they were serving in the cafeteria. It was the same food. But we've evolved. We've grown. And I'm telling you that there's a better way. There is a better way. You had to drive past Joe's, Gates. You had to drive past so many places. And you decided to stop and get your barbecue fix from Quick Trip? I just want better for you. But you know what? I can't want better for you if you don't. If you knew better, you do better. And I'm trying to tell you to know better. And stay far away from gas station barbecue that is not Oklahoma Joe's as much as possible. Coming up on the other side, we'll continue our toss-up Tuesday. And hopefully, Rob and I can move past this. It's The Drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this. On 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Kansas City is Nick Bolton. Can I get a big old M-I-Z? You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Hey, let me tell you guys that you can get 15% off online orders for carryout and delivery with promo code 610sports at Jefferson's Great Wings. I had them for the AFC and NFC Championship game. There'll be a hit at your big game watch party. Limit one per customer on a minimum $40 order. 15% off online orders. Carry out a delivery at Jefferson's. All you got to do is use the promo code 610sports. All right. We'll get back to stories here coming up in a bit. Peter King is going to be on the show coming up in about 30 minutes or so. Our guy Mitchell Schwartz is going to join us in studio. We're getting you ready for Super Bowl 58. I have two main things that I want to talk about here. First off, why are people keeping up with Kadarius Toney? Is there something that I am missing? So I did an interview yesterday on CBS Sports Radio. I went on with Maggie and Perloff. The first game question that I was asked was about Kadarius Toney. Hey, what do you think this means? What impact do you think he could have on the game? He's practicing again. I saw that people talked to him when he was at Super Bowl Media Day. Am I missing something about Kadarius Tony? Rob, you want to know how many yards Kadarius Tony has had since joining the Kansas City Chiefs? You want to know how many yards he's had? He has 430 yards from scrimmage since joining the Kansas City Chiefs. Why is Kadarius Tony somebody that people are keeping up with? Why is anyone interested in Kadarius Tony? Why do you guys care about Kadarius Tony? I they're fine at wide receiver heading into this matchup. They're more than fine. I would ask you, who do you want to take the opportunities away from in their offense? Because I think that they've pared down the offense to exactly where it needs to be. I think they have 
trim the fat off of this team, and we are getting the ball to the key players that matter. So in this game, these are the players that had catches against the Baltimore Ravens. Travis Kelsey, Rasheed Rice, MVS, Justin Watson, Isaiah Pacheco, Noah Gray, and Clyde Everett-Hilaire had two catches for three yards in this game. Can you tell me whose opportunities do you want to take the ball away from? Do you want to give Kadarius Tony carries in this game? Do you want to throw the ball to Kadarius Tony? Is this about him helping in punt coverage? Like, what role do we think that Kadarius Tony can help them with in Super Bowl 58? I know he made that one play that one time, and it was great. Thank you. It was, I appreciate it. It helped. I don't want Kadarius Tony to be active. On Sunday, I don't think you can act the way that he has over the last 14 days, and then you should get the privilege of being active for the Super Bowl. Did you hear what he said about the Instagram rant? He said it was AI. Now, I've heard AI of Taylor Swift. I've heard AI of Patrick Mahomes. I've heard AI of Drake. Who in their right mind created a bot to mimic the voice of Kadarius Tony? You shouldn't get to play after all of this. I'm sorry. You lost your opportunity to play when you went live on Instagram. You lost it. Why are we asking Kadarius Tony any questions heading into the Super Bowl? Why are we doing that? No, I'm perfectly fine. He then explained. Here was his explanation of the IG Live mishap. Yeah, it's, yeah, it kind of started that, but I, in the process of that, I get interrupted, so it got like a mixed message behind it, I guess you could say, and then a lot of footage got chopped up in the release, so it made it like I was attacking the one I love the most, like I made in the post, and I was saying, I was referring to. Uh, I never attacked the Chiefs, never said anything about the Chiefs, who I was referring to was the Giant fans, or whatever people in my comment, you know what I'm saying, my comment box, not even on my live recording, so you wouldn't even know if they were there. But I was referring to them, which I shouldn't have. I, I just wanted to go out there. I feel like how you say get my message across as far as my injury. But I shouldn't have did that at the end of the day. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a man. At the end of the day, I can, uh, I can accept my mistakes just like I accept my wins, you know. But um, I'm just moving past that right now. You know, we're here now. We're just trying to, you know, win. <sighs> okay. So when he said that he was healthy and that the team wasn't letting him play and that they were making up an injury that was directed towards the team that you played for a year and a half ago. That's who it was directed towards, not the team that you were currently. Why do you keep talking about the New York Giants? You won a Super Bowl with a whole completely different team. You didn't play the Giants. You're not on the Giants. At this point, you have played as many games with the Chiefs as you have with the Giants. Why are you worried about them? Kadarius Tony this year had 58 punt return yards. 58. I know. Last year in the Super Bowl, he made a big play. And it was great. And it was exciting. And we cheered. I, I get it. He caught a touchdown in last year's Super Bowl. I understand. You guys haven't noticed that their offense has been better since he hasn't been on the field. And part of the reason why the Chiefs had to go on the road in the postseason was because Kadarius Tony was on their team. I don't get why this is a thing for anybody. I really don't understand. If he's not there solely to be on the scout team and to be a good teammate, I don't really know why he's in Las Vegas. I think you lost that opportunity a while ago. I think you lost it. 
I don't want Kadarius Tony to play in Super Bowl Fifty Eight. If I had the choice, I'd rather Sky Moore play on Sunday. I don't want him playing either. I think we all just need a little time apart from Kadarius Tony. You know what? Let's have a sit-down powwow meeting this offseason, and let's determine if you can continue on the team. But I, I'm over it. You don't want the Chiefs wide receiver one at the Super Bowl? He's going to be there. He went to SMU, not Florida. He's going to be at the game. I feel very confident. I saw Rasheed Rice. I saw him. He's wide receiver number one. I'm okay. No thanks. That's not true. There's another cut in there. They, they asked Kadarius Tony, hey, you wide out one? He thinks he is. He was Lions wide out one in week one. Okay. Giving them touchdown after touchdown. Yeah, if I get it. Yeah, if I get the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love it, man. Gotta love it. You know I had to ask, man. I mean, they tried giving you the ball this year. You dropped it. They tried plenty of times to get you involved in the offense, and you were not a helpful player. Please keep Kadarius Tony off the field. Please take his helmet. Please take his mouthpiece. Please take his shoulder pads. Please keep him away from the field. Rob, hit me with the toss-up. Toss-up. Rob, who is more likely to score a touchdown in Super Bowl 58? Rasheed Rice is plus 130. Debo Samuel is plus 135. Who is more likely to score a touchdown in Sunday's game? That's really tough. I'm going to take Debo because I think they're going to use him in so many ways. I could see him lining up as a running back and busting a play open. I could see him. They get creative around the goal lines, like some tunnel screen action or you know, the jet sweep that McCole Hardman used to smoke the Niners in San Fran last year. I could see something of that ilk. So at plus 135, I think Debo scores a touchdown, more likely of the two. I don't think it's a traditional lineup as a wide receiver, run like a corner route type of touchdown. But I do think he's more likely to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I actually think the answer is Rasheed Rice. I think there's more people who can vulture his touchdowns on Debo Samuel's team than there are on Kansas City. They could give it to Christian McCaffrey. They could give it to Elijah Mitchell, who had a goal line carry and scored a touchdown in the NFC Championship game. They use Rasheed Rice as a extension of their run game. You throw it to him in the screen, he makes one guy miss, and he scores a touchdown. He has had two touchdowns taken off the board so far this postseason. He had one against the Miami Dolphins. He had one last week against the Baltimore Ravens. So he has shown an ability to get in the end zone. Can they avoid the penalty? I like Rasheed Rice to score a touchdown here at plus 130. I'll take it. I mean, he has had two called back, but he didn't score one that counted in the Ravens game. That's fair. He did not score one in the Bills game that counted. So he has. You're saying he might score a touchdown in this one, and then it's a whistle on number 77. Bill Vinovich starts to insert himself from the chat, as the kids say. So I. I just don't know. I think also we both think they're going to feed Travis Kelsey early and often, which that that. does vulture touches for Rasheed Rice. Coming up in just a bit, we'll be joined by Peter King of NBC Sports. For my money, he is the best sports writer in the country. He is live in Las Vegas. We'll get his thoughts on Super Bowl 58 as we get you ready for Sunday's matchup between the Chiefs and the Niners. I want to play this audio for you guys. This was Travis Kelsey 
yesterday on Super Bowl Media Day. Here's what he had to say about this year's Super Bowl. I've been on a mission ever since I won my first Super Bowl. Uh, we, we made it back to, to the Super Bowl the year after 2019, obviously lost to the, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, that's motivated me to get back to this point right here. So um, you'll hear me say this a lot, but I want this one more than I've ever wanted a, a Super Bowl in my life. And it's because uh, the type of team we have, the people that we have in this thing, but also because that tier of uh, teams that have done it twice have uh, gone down in history as uh, some of the greats. It is pretty amazing, I would say, that we have seen Travis Kelsey go from he was the guy who maybe needed a mentor. He was the guy that needed the accountability, the discipline. He was maybe the player that needed that early on in his career. So we have seen Travis Kelsey do a complete 180, and now he's the veteran. He's the OG. He's the guy that you were going to after practice and asking questions. He is the guy that is playing the big brother protector role on the team. He's the guy you remember when Kadarius Tony's walking off the field, who has his arm around him, who's telling him it's okay, who has really stepped up for this team and answered questions and been the face of this organization. It is pretty cool that we have seen really the full calendar of Travis Kelsey's career coming from a player who usually did things that cost the Chiefs and showed immaturity to now being the veteran, being the voice, being the mature one of the group. We have seen the complete transformation of their tight end. I mean, I agree, first and foremost. Secondarily, and this was just what growing up is, like Travis Kelsey had it on the most public scale, not in the pantheon of athletes, but a very public scale. He was 22, 23, 24 years old, playing high-level college football at Cincinnati, and then playing NFL football in Kansas City. So when we're all 21, 22, 23, we do dumb stuff. We're more apt to have outbursts. We're more likely to get into a spat with our boss. We're more likely to do this, that, and the other because we're just 23 years old. That's what 23-year-olds do. So... I credit him. He has grown up a great deal. The guy who threw flags at officials is no longer the Chiefs tight end. The guy who screamed in the locker room that that referee doesn't deserve to be at Foot Locker is no longer the Chiefs tight end. He has matured like a fine wine. He has aged well. But I think that's just part of regular growing up. And I think as we listen to New Heights podcast more and more, you see with his brother too. His brother used to have the mohawk and the whole deal. But he's also growing up and becoming a family man. And Travis Kelsey's now growing up. He's in a serious relationship. I think we should credit him, but I don't think it's some, oh my goodness, can you believe he made this pivot? It's a pivot most people make in their lives. Has there been anything that you feel maybe more confident in heading into a game of this magnitude than how involved Travis Kelsey is going to be and how well you expect him to perform in this game? Like if you were looking at sort of what he's been as a player. I mean, so far in this postseason, he had 11 catches for 116 yards and a touchdown. Against Buffalo, he had five catches, 75 yards, and two touchdowns. He had seven catches for 71 yards against Miami. You go back to last postseason when they won the Super Bowl against Philadelphia, 98 yards, 78 yards, 81 yards. I would say there are a couple of things that I feel very confident in heading into this game. Number one, I don't think the Chiefs are going to be able to stop Christian McCaffrey. I think you can limit Christian McCaffrey, but I don't think on Monday we're talking about Christian McCaffrey had 13 carries for 37 yards. I'm just not buying it. Not based on how good I think their offensive line is, not based on how good I think Kyle Shanahan is, and the respect that I have for Christian McCaffrey as a player. I also feel pretty confident in this game. I don't think there is really any way that San Francisco is defending Travis Kelsey. 
not based on how I think Andy is going to use him, not based off you have now given Travis Kelsey another bye week. I mean, this is going to be the second bye week that he's had in the last five weeks. So you're going to allow that player a chance to get fully rested, to get healthy, and he is coming in completely motivated and says, I want this Super Bowl as badly as I have wanted any of them. I think Travis Kelsey is going to have a really good day. And I know I'm not alone in feeling that. But if there is a a player that I feel most confident in, more than Isaiah Pacheco, more than Rasheed Rice, it's Travis Kelsey in this game. We have seen the Chiefs really pare down the targets. They're going to throw it to Travis Kelsey between 9 to 12 times in this game. If you give Travis Kelsey 12 targets, you are not holding that guy to 41 yards. It's just how bad is the damage? The same way that I feel that way about Christian McCaffrey is the same way on the other end with Travis Kelsey. How bad is the damage? Is it five catches for 75 yards or is it 10 catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns? How can San Francisco limit and potentially slow down Travis Kelsey? Vice versa with Christian McCaffrey is one of the big matchups in this game. We're going to have another three plus shows to break this down, but I'm interested in that comment because me and you are going to differ. I'm relatively confident that you can slow down Christian McCaffrey. I think game script has a chance to slow down Christian McCaffrey. I, the Ravens just straight abandoned the run, but I think the game script pushed them into that. I could see a scenario where the Niners get down and they run into the same problem. The Chiefs game plan all season long, and Nate Taylor said this last Friday, and he'll be on the show this Friday too from Radio Row, the Chiefs were get ahead and force you to throw into the teeth of our defense, and we don't think you can beat us. That's the game plan going into Sunday, too. So I think the Chiefs are going to do everything in their power in the first quarter to limit or slow down or stop Christian McCaffrey and beg Bush Lightboy to beat him. So me and you are going to differ on if you can stop Christian McCaffrey, because I think it can be done in the game on Sunday where you make it feel like, hey, if you limit the damage and get him to 65, 75 yards, we're in a good spot. We're just going to disagree on that. Yeah, but I think maybe where you and I are different, our top Texas CDOT, the Chiefs stop Lamar Jackson. Why do you feel they can't stop Christian McCaffrey? I don't think that the Chiefs stop Lamar Jackson from running. I think Baltimore stopped Lamar Jackson from running. He had eight carries for 58 yards. If Christian McCaffrey only gets eight rush attempts, yeah, you stopped him. I think that Kyle Shanahan could stop Christian McCaffrey in this game. I don't think the Chiefs can stop him. Not with their offensive line, not with how good of a player he is. We're talking about this is an elite offense. They're going to have some advantage in this game, and they're going to be able to do something. And what I feel pretty confident on with Kansas City is if you stay committed to running the football, you can run the football against them. Now, I don't think that Brock Purdy's throwing for 300 yards against them. I think you can eliminate George Kittle from this game. I think you can take a deep ball away from Brandon I. You can make him a non-factor. But if Christian McCaffrey is going to touch the ball as much as I think he is going to touch it on Sunday, I think he's going to touch it between 22 and 25 times. You're not holding that guy to 41 yards. Not with those touches. He's going to have at least one or two big plays in the football game. Do you limit those to one or two, or does he have three or four big plays that help flip the game? Does he have a big catch out of the backfield that goes for 40 yards? Does he take a run play for 35 yards down the field? But the same way that I expect Kelsey to have a really good day because you have an elite playmaker and you have an elite offense that can get him the football in space and allow him to make plays, I think you can say the same thing on the other side about their star running back. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll head to Las Vegas and be joined by Peter King of NBC Sports. For my money, he is the best sports writer in the country. Keep it right here. It's The Drive.
Let's head to the phone lines right now and be joined by our next guest. He is our Odyssey NFL insider, Peter King. Insider calls are brought to you by Old Spice. Men have skin, too. He's with NBC Sports. And for my money, he is the best sports writer covering the National Football League, helping you get ready for Super Bowl 58 between the Chiefs and the Niners. Peter, we appreciate your time. Thanks for hopping on today. Hey, Carrington. Happy to do it. How are you? Absolutely. Doing fantastic. Let's start with this. What is your biggest or most favorite storyline heading into this game? Uh, The fact that the last pick in the draft is four quarters uh, from winning the Super Bowl. And uh, last pick in the draft in 22. And in order to do so, he'd have to beat the best quarterback in today's game and already one of the best quarterbacks ever. So uh, all I know is that if Brock Purdy wins, if the San Francisco 49ers win this game, I don't know that there have been many more interesting stories in recent sports history than that one. Peter, it's inter- it's interesting that for a player who has had the success that he has had so early on in his career, I don't know if he has gotten the credit that maybe a lot of other young quarterbacks have. And I understand the position that he's in, the team, the talent that's around him. Do you think Brock Purdy is underrated coming into this game? Well, he's underrated by some, but he's not underrated by the people who count. Um, you know, like, I, I rode to work with Kyle Shanahan last Tuesday, and that's one of the topics we discussed. And he said to me in that, in that, game, in that drive, I'm just going to read you this couple of sentences from my column this week. This is Kyle Shanahan on, on Purdy and all that. I hear what people say, people down on him. It is comical. Playing quarterback is how you play quarterback. What if Joe Montana was in there? Joe's not going to run around like Lamar and Patrick, but he's Joe Montana. I'm not trying to compare him and Brock, but, you know, this is a big sport, huge media. People have to realize in our profession how the world works. <clears throat> Guys on TV have to talk. We only play once a week, and the rest of the week everybody talks. <clears throat> and he made the point that one of the great things about Brock Purdy is he just doesn't care. He has a solidness to him as a person that what somebody talking on ESPN says about him, he has no interest in. He just doesn't care. And that's part of what makes him good, I think, because clearly, you know, if you had rabbit ears, it's really going to affect you, and he doesn't. Right now, we're joined by Peter King of NBC Sports, taking a closer look at Super Bowl 58 between the Chiefs and the Niners. Really quick, I guess, last question about San Francisco, and I want to transition to Kansas City. What do you see as the key to slowing down their offense? Do you think it's taking away Christian McCaffrey? Do you think it's taking away George Kittle in the middle of the field? Like, if you were the Chiefs' defense, what are you attacking? What are you trying to force San Francisco to do? You know, this is the kind of game where Bill Belichick, if he were coaching in it, you know, against San Francisco, he would say, <clears throat> we're going to figure out who this team has to have play well in order to win, and we're going to take them away. You know, he did it with uh, – I mean, he's done it throughout his career and or tried to do it throughout his career. But in this particular case, I think even if you slow down 
and you stop Christian McCaffrey and hold him to whatever, I don't know, 40 yards, I, there's so many other weapons for them to, for them to, to use, for Purdy to use. If Purdy's accurate and, uh, you know, those guys stay healthy, I mean, Brandon Ayuk and uh, Debo Samuel are such physical football players, as is Travis Kelsey, uh, obviously on the other side. But the two receivers on San Francisco right now clearly are better physical weapons than most teams you're ever going to face in the NFL. And so that's the thing. And obviously George Kittle's very physical too. But that's the thing that would probably be frustrating if I were Steve Spagnuolo looking at this team. Peter, for me looking at this game, I look at it kind of through both defenses' lenses, and I think that two players are just so vital to what they want to do offensively. Like if you were San Francisco, the versatility of Christian McCaffrey, catching the ball out of the backfield, having 20-plus rush attempts, I think it's really yeah. hard to slow him down. And the same thing for Kansas City with Travis Kelsey. He is just so vital to everything that they do in the passing game. And you got Andy Reid, and you have given Andy Reid two weeks to figure out this San Francisco defense and figure it out. The same way that I'm not sure if Kansas Kansas City can slow down Christian McCaffrey. I'm not sure if San Francisco can slow down Travis Kelsey either. Yeah, well, I'm really not sure it's as much about slowing down these guys. But <clears throat> three times in the last year, I have witnessed Andy Reid make a call. You know, let's go back to the Super Bowl last year. You know, he calls Corn Dog twice. He calls a play he's not called in over 1,100 snaps. He called this the first game of the season at Arizona, you know, where the receiver goes into jet motion and sprints in toward the formation and then cuts on a dime and just runs right back out. Mahomes snaps it, and you gamble that the corner who is running with him is not going to be able to catch up. And both times, to Kadarius Tony first, to Sky Moore second, they totally confounded the Eagles, and that won them the Super Bowl. Now let's go to the New England game this year where uh, Matt Nagy, who is a great researcher of old football plays and old film, finds a game from the 40s from the Ivy League with a weird little <clears throat> single-wing play where uh, these guys – have never, they're going to play New England. They're not playing very well. And nobody in New England has ever seen anything like this where Patrick Mahomes lines up in a three point stance and Jarek McKinnon's going to take the direct snap. It's just weird. And that's a touchdown. And then they did the same thing against Buffalo. What team knows Andy Reid better than Buffalo, which he's played six times in the last four years? And what coach knows him better than Sean McDermott? And so, you look at it and you basically say what has happened here is that Andy Reid has come up with stuff and then they score a touchdown on that, on the play that they pull out of their, their hat with Travis Kelsey. They haven't run it in seven years in a game and they throw a little screen. What was almost like a screen in the flat to Kelsey and he scores a touchdown. So Andy Reid just figures stuff out and, I think that is as dangerous as the players 
that he has. It's the brains that Andy Reid uses. Right now, we're joined by Peter King of NBC Sports. He is our Odyssey insider. All of our insider calls are brought to you by Old Spice Gentleman's Blend Body. I understand that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey take up a lot of air, just their superstardom. I really feel like in the AFC Championship game that some of the attention started to shift towards this defense and how good they were against the Ravens, and the Ravens only scoring 10 points in the game. I think in this that each Super Bowl has a way of sort of freezing time, that if this defense plays really well and they do a great job against Christian McCaffrey and they take away all of the options that we uh, know San Francisco to have, if, if this team in three straight weeks beats Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and this San Francisco offense, I think this defense is going to get a lot of credit historically and people are going to speak very, very highly of this defense 20, 30 years from now whenever they go back and look at this year's Super Bowl. Well, well, they should. Um, I mean, if they hold San Francisco to the teams, uh, you know, not past the teams, you know, maybe the 11 starting players on that defense should share the uh, the MVP trophy of the Super Bowl because that will be just huge. And they they basically stuck it to Lamar Jackson. And, you know, hey, we can talk about what happened in Buffalo all we want, but that defense made a lot of plays, even though Josh Allen <clears throat> made a couple of pretty big mistakes at the end. But you're right. Right now we're talking to Peter King here for a couple of more minutes. Peter, what is your keys to the game here for on both sides? What's your key to a Kansas City win? What's your key to a San Francisco win? Isaiah Pacheco for Kansas City. Because I think that it's possible, it's possible with the physicality of that defense. Look. Uh, of the of the uh, uh, you know the San Francisco defense, it is possible that they could stonewall Isaiah Pacheco for much of this game. But Isaiah Pacheco has really made a name for himself for about the last half season for running with a certain amount of violence. So I think the ability of him to either continue that. Um, if he continues it, I think it bodes well for a Kansas City win. And if he doesn't, you know, and everything is on Mahomes, it's going to be harder for him. And I think on the other side of the ball, look, you simply do not know how uh, Brock Purdy is going to handle this. He's handled almost everything. Now, he's had some some weak moments uh, against Green Bay for three quarters and against Detroit for two quarters. And now he comes into the Super Bowl, and it's easy to say, man, this guy's handled every challenge, all that stuff. We know that the moment's not going to be too good, too big for Mahomes. He's he's had 20 of these moments already, or 10, let's say at least, of mega games. And never do you watch Patrick Mahomes play and say, well, he choked on that one, or Man, he short-armed that throw. He must be feeling the heat. So, But we don't know that about Brock Purdy. And I think he's going to handle it fine because that's his personality. But until he does it, we don't know. Peter, I 100% agree with you, and I'll get you out of here with this. I mean, that's why I'm picking Kansas City. Like right now, if I am just laying down just the cold, hard facts, 
I know what Kansas City's quarterback is going to do in a game of this magnitude. I yeah. don't know what San Francisco's quarterback is going to do defensively. Kansas City's defense is playing better than San Francisco's defense. I was disappointed with their postseason run. The Lions scored 30 points on them, and Jordan Love yeah. had a lot of success against this San Francisco defense a couple of weeks ago. And in this kind of moment, I have seen Kyle Shanahan do something late in the fourth quarter to cost his team a game or not stick with the game plan where I don't think Andy Reid does that. For that reason, I'm picking Kansas City to win this game 23-17. to Where are you at, and, and who do you have winning Super Bowl 58? I, I cannot pick against Mahomes. It's just, I just don't think it makes any sense. Um, but I think the game is going to be high scoring. Um, you know, 34-30, something like that. I think there's going to be a lot of points. And one of the reasons I think that is that both of these teams are extremely smart and know how to do stuff that the other defense is not going to be prepared for. So I like Kansas City, and I like it to be high-scoring. And that is Peter King joining us on the show today. He is our Odyssey NFL insider, does fantastic work with NBC Sports. I think he is the best sports writer covering the NFL, and all of his insider calls have been brought to you by Old Spice. Peter, we appreciate you joining us. Enjoy Super Bowl week. Thanks a million, Carrington. You have a great one, too. Absolutely. That's Peter King of NBC Sports joining us on the show today. I want to react to what he said there about this game being high scoring. The over-under is at around 48 and a half the last time I checked, Rob. He thinks this game is going to be played into the 60s. I'll get your reaction to that coming up on the other side. Plus, we'll have our guy Mitchell Schwartz is going to join us in studio coming up at the bottom of the hour, and we will get his stories about playing in this same Super Bowl four years ago against this same team. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esqually Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Download the Odyssey app and listen to The Drive with Carrington wherever you are. So coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Mitchell Schwartz is going to join us in studio today. We have been getting stories from members of the 2019-2020 Kansas City Chiefs who won the Super Bowl four years ago against the San Francisco 49ers. We just had Peter King on the show of NBC Sports, and he thinks that the Super Bowl is going to be high scoring. I I cannot pick against Mahomes. It's I just don't think it makes any sense. Um, But... I think the game is going to be high scoring. Um, you know, 34-30, something like that. I think there's going to be a lot of points. And one of the reasons I think that is that both of these teams are extremely smart and know how to do stuff that the other defense is not going to be prepared for. So I like Kansas City, and I like it to be high scoring. I mean, reasonable minds can certainly disagree about the Super Bowl. I would be very, very surprised if San Francisco scored 30 points on this team. I mean, they haven't given up 30 points to any team this year in the National Football League. Only one team scored 27 points against this team. Unless you foresee Kansas City turning the ball over, which is something that is very difficult to predict. 
if Patrick Mahomes goes out there and throws two interceptions and they have a fumble return for a touchdown, sure, maybe that's the pathway to them getting to 30 or more points, them meaning San Francisco. But just based on what their defense has been this season, I just don't see San Francisco scoring a whole lot of points against Kansas City in this game. I think they'll be able to move the football against Kansas City. We've kind of seen that, that you can move the ball between the 20s against Kansas City, but the red zone defense has been really good, and this defense has normally answered the call in really big scenarios. Like, as high as I'm on in Christian McCaffrey in this game, I think this could be a game in which Debo Samuel doesn't have nearly the impact that people think that he can have. That the Chiefs have done such a great job this season against so many different wide receivers that maybe this is a game where Debo is more viable in the run game than he is in the pass game. I think the Chiefs might have the best secondary in the National Football League, and I know they have the best one and two corner combination in the league. I think they're going to do a really good job when it comes to pass coverage in this game down the field. So against Debo, against Brandon Ayuk, I feel really confident about their ability to get after Brock Purdy, and I feel pretty good that they're going to be able in a they're going to be in a position where they can force a turnover in this game. We have seen Brock Purdy throw some turnover worthy balls so far in the postseason. He did that in their first postseason game against Green Bay. He did that in the game against the Detroit Lions. I feel really good that Brock Purdy is going to give you one or two chances to make a play that could potentially flip this game. I think there are all the reasons in the world to trust Kansas City's pass defense and how they performed. And going up against top quarterbacks and top wide receivers and top pass catchers, I think they have held up from start to finish. Now, you've been able to run against Kansas City, but very few teams have really committed to running the football and really stuck with it over the course of the game. So I would be surprised if this game was a 34-31 game, really on both sides. I don't trust Kansas City offensively enough to score over 30 points, and I don't trust San Francisco, not against this defense, to score into the 30s. If this game, if we are talking about on Monday that San Francisco scored 31 points, I think San Francisco won the game. And I think that they were the first defense to crack the code of Kansas City's offense or defense. And I think they won the game 31-21, somewhere in that range. And that Kansas City's offense just was unable to keep up with the pace. It's been a while since we've seen this offense be able to compete in a shootout with a team that could really score. Usually their defense is held and held and they've asked the offense to make a play. It hasn't really been since last year's Super Bowl that we've seen the Chiefs get into a shootout with another team where it was a 38-35 game. I just don't really see that being the game script, Rob. What do you think of Peter King thinking the game's going to be high score? I agree with what you said about the Chiefs' defense not going to get shredded. We've we've seen too much sample size. They're not going to give up 30. They're not going to give up 28. They're not going to be a team that just gets boat raced in an offensive shootout. But in the same vein, I'm going to get my hater jacket back on a little bit here. feels yeah, good to have it back on. Do the Chiefs offense have the juice to be in a shootout of their own accord? Like, you had the number about the Chiefs defense holding teams down. When was the last time the Chiefs offense got to 30? Was it the Raider game around Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was the Raider game. And the Raiders stink. Like, let's remember that. The Raiders are no good. They're going to pick in the top 15 in the NFL draft because they're bad. There's a reason this game in Vegas doesn't feature the Raiders. It's because they're a bad team. Before that, they got to 30 against what? the Chargers or someone else bad? I mean, 
the Chiefs offense, I don't think, has the juice to be in a shootout. And I think the Chiefs defense is going to hold down the Niners and keep them away from a shootout of itself. So Peter King has covered football longer than I've been alive. But it just seems unlikely to me that these two offenses and two defenses are going to result in some 38-35 to 35 mega scoring matchup. Or I would say that if this is a game that is played in a shootout the way that Peter King thinks that it could be, that means Kansas City was really good in the red zone. Like, I could see that being a scenario. Kansas City moves the ball, they get in the red zone, and then there's a penalty that takes a touchdown off the board, or they settle for field goals with Harrison Bucker. If this game is going to be played on the 30s, either you are anticipating the Chiefs defense playing their worst game of the season, or you think for 60 minutes the Chiefs offense puts it together in a way that we haven't seen in two months. Now, I thought their offense was actually pretty good in the game against Buffalo. I think San Francisco was better than Buffalo, but I thought offensively they were probably as close to their capacity that I think this team could be. And then I think they showed you in the AFC Championship game, they showed you flashes. They showed you their first two drives. That was the old Kansas City Chiefs. They went right down the field on that first drive, touchdown pass to Travis Kelsey. The second one was more of a combination of how this team has to win. They ran the ball. They had it for 16 plays, went down the field. They had a nine-minute drive. And then after that, it was a lot of the same problems that we've seen the Chiefs offense have. But just defensively, they were able to force San Francisco into those or Baltimore into those mistakes. Can they force Brock Purdy into those mistakes? I would say history, especially what we've seen in the postseason. You're going to have a couple of opportunities to force Brock Purdy into a mistake. That's true. I'd also say the Baltimore game was a little different because I think it was a little column A, a little column B. I think the Ravens adjusted to the Chiefs. That's no doubt about that. But I also think the Chiefs and the powers that be on their sideline knew, I don't think Baltimore can get to 18, 19, 20 points today. So by halftime, they were at a safe scoring number. And I think you saw that. There were a couple of times I think Mahomes ate it on a sack. I think there was some conservative play calling. I think the Chiefs knew, hey, it's a race to 20 or a race to 17, and we've won the race. The clock is our biggest ally. I don't know that same energy is going to be felt in the Super Bowl. If it's a race to 20, I don't know the Chiefs can just stall out at 17, 18, 19 and feel like we still have the D to hold them down. So the Raven, if the Ravens game were the game script, that's a problem for the Chiefs because that offense just evaporated in the second half. I do agree with Peter King that I think, like if you're looking at this to like a completely neutral lens, I think the most interesting storyline is Brock Purdy and the uncertainty of what version of Brock Purdy is going to play in this game. Is he a guy that's going to throw for two touchdowns and no interceptions in this game? That's maybe a game that San Francisco wins. Or is he going to be the same version that played against the Green Bay Packers? That is a game that I think Kansas City wins pretty comfortably. I would say they win if he plays how he did against the Lions. Like I think he is going to have to play better than he has in his last four postseason games in order for them to win. And this is probably the toughest defense that he's gone up against so far in his young career. Coming up on the other side, we'll be joined in studio by Mitchell Schwartz. All pro right tackle. He was on the Super Bowl team that beat the San Francisco 49ers. We'll get his stories coming up. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Kansas City, it's Brett Veach. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Our 
Big Game Coverage is brought to you by Community America Credit Union. Community America Credit Union is proud to be the exclusive banking partner of the Kansas City Chiefs. Get your Chiefs checking account, including the exclusive Chiefs debit card at ChiefsChecking.com. There are not many people that I personally know that have a Super Bowl ring. One of them is sitting right in front of me. Mitchell Schwartz joining us in studio today to tell us stories about playing in a Super Bowl. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Where's your Super Bowl ring? You didn't bring it today? Today's the day to bring it. I only bring it for special occasions. Coming on the drive for Super Bowl week, that's not a special occasion? Yeah, it's getting pretty normal in these parts, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what is it like to get so many media requests now? Like every time I look up, you're on Jim Rome's show, you're on The Ringer. You're a, you're a regular media member now. Yeah, I don't get paid like it, uh, which is saying something because most media members don't get paid much at all. So that tells you what I'm getting. Um, it's cool. I mean, it's a little bit funny that it's always, you know, we have to get to a certain point in the postseason for people to then kind of want my vantage point. But it's cool. It's a nice little reminder that I was part of something special and have some you know, good insight to share. So I'm happy to have you on here because we've been getting people's various stories about playing on the Chiefs, Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes, all of that. I've been asking people this question. I can't remember your answer. When did you realize that Pat was special? Because the game for me is against San Francisco, his first home start. And the throw that he makes in the back of the end zone to Chris Conley is just one of the most incredible throws that I've seen him make. Just the balance, the athleticism, the zip on the ball, the ball placement. It was an amazing throw. That's when I realized, hey, Pat's different. Like, Pat is a better version of Aaron Rodgers. When was that moment for you that you felt that way about Patrick? So I didn't see that play until film the next day, or I guess I saw it on probably Twitter after the game. But, you know, you're just blocking. I think on that one, I was it was the new peel-back rule, so you can't hit anybody with forcible contact to going back towards your own end zone unless you just use your hands. So you kind of do, like, the drive-by. You see it on special teams where guys kind of run with, like, their hands up and kind of throw your back at the guy. So I was trying to do that to give him a little extra time. So I didn't really see that throw. Um, I feel like there's a lot of different moments. I mean, the Denver game that year, the – I think it was either Sunday or Monday night, the left-handed throw, and just the comeback and being able to, you know, probably the first true adversity we had faced in terms of being down and needing to come back in a, you know, hostile environment. But, I mean, you, you look at 10 touchdowns in the first two games, and, you know, he comes home and then has an even better game against San Francisco. I think we're up, or we scored 35 in the first half. And I don't know that there was any one aha moment. I think he just, everything kept being so good that eventually you just kind of get overwhelmed by the evidence that, like, man, this dude is as good as the stats say he is, and he just keeps getting better. Um, so, yeah, I didn't – that's, you know, the disadvantage of playing is you don't get to, like, see the plays happen as they happen the way other people are seeing it. You don't get the, oh, my God, did he just do that moment. You have to kind of catch up with that on film the next day or whenever, you know, you're kind of watching the game on your own. So, yeah, I don't know that there was, like, a pinpoint – I knew that this guy was special because of this one specific thing, but it was just kind of the totality of how good he was as quick as he was. And the fact that it didn't really get to him at all. He didn't change at all. And he just kept being that good. And he's been that good ever since. Have you seen him grow? I mean, you were there the year that he wasn't the starter. You were there for his first MVP season. You've been there around this team for basically the majority of his career. How have you seen him grow and develop from the kid that was drafted to Texas Tech to now being the best football player in the world? The biggest difference is the mental mastery of what he's able to do at the line of scrimmage, pre-snap, post-snap, his knowledge of everything around him, where guys are supposed to be, what the defense is trying to do. And that's something that he's still going to continue to get better at. He's only, what, 28? 
he's only played six seasons. He still has so much more experience to uh, learn from in the NFL. And so that's kind of the cool thing with his career is the physical is going to keep getting a little bit better. I mean, obviously, he's got a good workout guy and, and Bobby and they are able to keep him healthy and they're able to do cool things and flexibility and all that. But he's 28. Most guys' physical prime is like 28 to 32, 33. So if you kind of think about it in terms of he's just hitting his quote-unquote normal physical peak of what most guys would go through combined with six years of experience and by the time he's in his early 30s, eight, nine, ten years of experience, he's going to keep getting better. And I kind of made that argument early in his career that the stats might never look as good as it did those first couple of years because they were so ridiculous, but he's going to become a better quarterback. And I think Travis Kelsey talked about this recently, that Pat's as good as he's ever been because of the mental mastery, because of all the things he can do pre-snap to get everyone in the right spot, to know where to go with the ball. You know, you see the older quarterbacks, the Mannings, Brady's, Breeze. The ball's out so quick because they know where to go with it. They know who's going to become open. They know where the seams are. And obviously, as Travis retires and Pat has to go into a post-Travis world, like he's probably going to rely more on that quick game and knowing where guys are instead of just kind of seeing things happen as they develop the way really only Travis can. So that mental mastery is where he's made the most strides, and it's where he honestly will continue to make the most strides, which is pretty scary for the rest of the league. I didn't really think about it in this way until Peter King said it last week that if you go off of Roethlisberger, if you go off Breeze, if you go off Rodgers, we are only one-third of the way through the Patrick Mahomes journey. Like six years, he then does another six, he's 34, and then you're on the back nine of his career. For him to have accomplished this much in the first six years of his career, where they've been to four Super Bowls, he's won two MVPs, they have a chance to win their third Super Bowl, where do you kind of stand on the greatest of all time argument that has really started to heat up here over the last 10 days or so? Where do you sit on that? I mean, people are going to say I'm biased, but I think it lends itself towards saying he is the best to have ever done it. Now, he doesn't have the longevity of anyone else because he's only been eligible to play for seven years and only started six of them. And he's not going to have as many rings, even if we win this one, as Brady and Montana and Bradshaw and, and those greats. But in terms of what he's done for the first six years of a career, it's the best that's ever been done. Like, he's his six-year stretch is as good as really anyone else's six-year stretch over at any point in their career, and it was the first six years of his. So I think it's fair to extrapolate his level of success over the next two-thirds of his career. I don't think it's fair to say he's going to be in the Super Bowl 66% of the time. That's ridiculous. I can't believe we're saying that. I don't think it's fair to expect him to be in the AFC Championship game every single year. It's ridiculous that he's done that every year that he started. But you can expect for him to be the best player in the league for at least the next nine or 10 years. You can expect the team to be really good and be able to maybe turn it up a notch in the playoffs and have more success than what the regular season would make you think. And again, it's hard to say that like, yeah, he's going to win five more Super Bowls over the next 12 years because that's what the first six years of his career looks like. But these first six years, he's the best player that's ever done it and he's doing it in his first six years. So I just keep kind of coming back to that because it's not the prime of his career again, when he's 28 to 34 and that's the best convergence of physical attributes and mental attributes. He's was so young those first few years and, and to do what he did. So yeah, as of right now, I think most people, if you're just saying like, who's the guy from history that at quarterback at his best, you can do the most with, and you can be the most successful with. I feel like Pat's the answer. 
Um, now it's arguable and, you know, you can go in any direction from there, but I just think, you know, it's unprecedented what he's done. And I think it's worthy of giving him that accolade. Right now we're joined in studio by Mitchell Schwartz, all pro right tackle, taking a closer look at Super Bowl 58. You are one of the most even keeled people that I know, but I would even guess even you got super excited to go to the Super Bowl. You know, you grow up watching football and now you get a chance to play in the Super Bowl. What is it like? How hard is it to contain those emotions as you get closer and closer to Super Bowl Sunday and you actually take the field? It was fun. I enjoyed, you know, media night was last night. I had a good time with that. I mean, it kind of went by quicker than I expected. You kind of go through all these different things. I mean, all of us like to get free stuff. And so the Super Bowl, they give you all these little cool things. And it's always fun to, you know, get a nice little goodie bag from Nike or from whoever else the sponsors are. That's a lot of fun. You know, we practice in Miami's facility and seeing their setup and their locker room and stuff was cool too. The negative was we had to go up against the 49ers defensive line that was, I would say, better then than it is now. And having to hear about them for two weeks, having to watch that film for two weeks in a row. Um, so all the kind of cool things are offset by a little bit of the anxiety of, man, I, I really got to go up against these guys and perform. Um you know, we were right across the street from a mall and kind of walked over to the mall and walked around a little bit. That was kind of blowing off steam. You know, I'm not someone that likes to go out and party or anything like that. So I wasn't super interested in the rest of what Miami offered. But just kind of getting your affairs in order in terms of who's showing up, what days and who you're going to hang out with. How do you say no to people? You know, all that is a little bit tricky. And, you know, you want to see certain people. You don't want to see others, but you're obligated to see others. And trying to just, you know, navigate those waters. So it was a fun week. Obviously, the victory made it all worth it. I still kind of think that the playoffs are relatively worthless unless you actually win it all because you just play more football and then you're disappointed. And the further along you get, the more football you have to play against better players and it's more stressful and it's more padding on your body and it's less money if you're a second contract guy than what you're getting. So there's a lot of downsides to the playoffs unless you win it. And uh, winning it all definitely made it worth it. You mentioned San Francisco's defense I've been sort of disappointed in how they've played in their first two postseason games. I don't think they were that great against the Green Bay Packers, and I just saw the Lions score 30 points against them. Like, as much as the conversation is about Brock Purdy, which is understandable given his pedigree, where he was drafted, and somewhat of his inconsistent play at times in the postseason, I don't think not nearly enough attention has been put to the fact of, of all the units in this game. So Kansas City's offense, Kansas City's defense, San Francisco, vice versa. Their defense is the worst unit in this game, in my opinion, especially when you factor in, I know Kansas City's offense can be inconsistent. They still got Patrick Mahomes. They still got Travis Kelsey. I have far more confidence in Kansas City's offense going into this game than I do San Francisco's defense. I agree, and at this point in time, I don't think it's particularly close. I think San Fran has missed a lot of tackles, which we don't expect of them, especially with the linebackers that they have. I think the defensive line that makes a lot of money and that's as heralded as it is, isn't performing up to their level. And now, so the flip side of that is... Detroit probably has the best O-line or one of the top two or three O-lines in, in the NFL. Green Bay is maybe top three to five offensive line. Their line is always really good and had a pretty good season. And the way our line has been playing the last few games, if we keep it up and we perform to a similar level that those two offensive lines did, I think that's the key to neutralizing this defense, which has always been, even back when we played them you know, five years ago, that was the key for us up front. We have to block and we have to give Pat enough time, and that was – his little throwaway line in the Wasp clip is, do we have time to run Wasp? That means, can the guys protect up front and long enough for me to get this playoff? Because, you know, we hadn't been doing the best job of that. And so 
if our O-line keeps playing the way we have been, then their defense is going to keep looking the way they have been, and we're going to put up 42 points. And that's kind of the interesting, I think, schematic matchup as well because, you know, for people to kind of look at all the information on this game and they've heard people talk about it, like the thing with the 49ers defense that everyone's talking about is that they're relatively stagnant compared to some other defenses, especially compared to Baltimore's that we just played. And they can't just sit back and let us dictate the game. You know, they're going to have to mix things up a little bit. So seeing if they can do things that maybe aren't in, you know, their last four to eight games of when you're typically watching film and, you know, Pat's going to watch the whole season, obviously. But doing stuff that is less recent, is breaking tendencies, is throwing, you know, Pat in the offensive lineup as much as they can, that's going to be, I think, the key matchup. Because if they don't do that and if we can just kind of go in there and, and – play the way we have been the past few weeks, especially up front, um, it could get pretty ugly, and it could get ugly quick. I mean, I'm picking Kansas City for a couple of different reasons. Head coaching advantage seems obvious to me. Quarterback disadvantage, this is as big of a quarterback disadvantage that I think you can have in a Super Bowl of this magnitude. And I like Brock Purdy, but you're telling me Brock Purdy in his first Super Bowl was going up against Patrick Mahomes in his fourth. I think you have to be on that side. And I can live with being surprised the same way we were whenever the Eagles won with Nick Foles that they beat the Philadelphia Eagles. But going into it, I don't know how you could pick Nick Foles to beat the New England Patriots in a postseason game and their defense. I mean, I I, I think the same way we were talking about the units and like take both sides. I think Kansas City's defense is the best unit in this game. And I'm not confident they can stop everything that San Francisco can do. Like Christian McCaffrey is probably going to have a good day just based on how they use him and based on his usage. But I feel confident that, that they can take away a deep ball from Brandon Ayuk or they can kind of limit Debo Samuel and he doesn't have the impact on the game or kind of slow down George Kittle. I feel more confident in Kansas City's defense to slow down what San Francisco can do than I trust San Francisco to slow down Patrick Mahomes. I got this being a relatively low-scoring game. I got it 23-17. Interesting. I would say to, you know, is Purdy going to turn into Nick Foles or whatever? Foles was on a heater those last few games. It's not like he was kind of playing okay and the team wasn't doing that great and they kind of lucked into the Super I'm not going to say San Fran lucked into the Super Bowl, but, you know, felt like you weren't performing, especially that rainy game a few weeks ago that Purdy had. So if Purdy has a sub superhuman game and goes off it's going to be oh wow like we didn't expect that because it'll be different than what he has been playing and that's kind of the way i think we're viewing the matchup is based on really the playoffs and the playoffs alone this looks pretty one-sided like kansas city looks like the much better team if you just take the playoffs and san fran looks like the much better team or if you just take the regular season which i think is why they're still favored by a little bit because you're kind of going off of like the totality of what the year looks like so yeah if, if purdy has that kind of game, it will be different than the way he's been playing recently. And if you stop the season after 10 or 12 weeks when he was the MVP favorite and he had a game like that, then you would say, okay, well, that's kind of the way he's been playing. It's just more of what we've seen, but that's not what he's done lately. So I tend to think this is going to be a higher scoring game just because, again, talking about their defense being kind of the worst of the four, the way our offense is playing, the way our guys seem to have been elevating the last few weeks, I could see a similar situation to like last week where we get out to a couple scores early, you know, we've come out pretty hot and in, in all these playoff games. And I don't know that San Fran's defense is going to be able to kind of have that switch to flip, to turn the clamps on the way Baltimore did. And um, so, yeah, I kind of see a game maybe more in the low thirties to mid twenties. I don't know if that's a 31, 23, 31, 24 ish game. Um, but it does seem like, There'll be a bit of a flurry, a couple, you know, touchdowns traded early, and then maybe things slow down a bit, and then 
as the fourth quarter picks up and you know it's time to score and go win the game, then maybe a, a couple touchdowns are traded again. I got a couple of questions to get you out of here with. Number one, can you bring a vegetable tray to the big game party? Because Rob is talking about bringing cauliflower and carrots and broccoli and celery to the function, and I think that's a red flag. Is that a red flag? <laughs> so you can. This is the free speech argument. You can say anything you want, but I can judge you based on what you say. So you can go ahead and bring that vegetable platter, but I can judge you based on you bringing the vegetable platter. I think in Kansas City, that's more of a no-go. You know, if I was back home in California and Los Angeles, you know, you'd probably expect some healthy dish. I would say if you're bringing a vegetable platter, there has to be ranch to dip in, and it has to be good ranch. It can't be like the kind of store-bought congealed weird stuff with like the mixtures. It's got to be that like good restaurant quality runny ranch that's like really zesty so i'd look at you sideways if you brought it i think it will get somewhat eaten but it has to have good ranch all right are you a pulled pork slider or just a regular hamburger slider individual Ooh, i would go hamburger cheeseburger slider i think if people have heard me talk about barbecue long enough i think pulled pork is the least good of all the uh i I know you think a little bit differently but least good of all the kind of barbecue meats i think it's kind of the most mediocre and it's the mo- the one that you have to add the most stuff to to make it taste good like i think ribs have more flavor on their own i think really any of the beef products whether it's brisket you know burn ends are kind of brisket beef ribs i think those short ribs especially tend to have so much more flavor so pulled pork can be good i just think you kind of have to add a lot to it to make it good and i think there's something to kind of cheeseburger sliders that is really delicious, and especially if you got uh, the right condiments and a little bit of, you know, pickle and a little bit of crunch. Are you the home team or the visitor for the Super Bowl? Because, like, I can't really see you having a bunch of people over to watch the game. Like, it seems to me like you're the visitor. Like, you bring, like, a homemade dip. You show up with a bottle of wine, and that is your contribution to this. How do you watch the Super Bowl? I'm surprised you think I watch it with people. That's a that's a bold claim for you. I'm <laughs> I am the home team, and my door is closed for the day. And I will uh, maybe order pizza because I feel like I still associate football with pizza, and uh, I know a lot of other people will. So I'll have to get that order in early. And uh, yeah, I'll enjoy it at my pace. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to have to answer questions. I kind of get in my chair and I get in my zone, and I watch the game. I can rewind it, which is the reason I love actual. TV instead of streaming stuff because the rewind capability is so much better on a normal TV than it is on a streaming service. And so I'll watch the game. I'll do my live tweeting and probably have some pizza and I'll have a good time. I have to get you out of here with this final question. We asked everybody this last week. You're the only person I will ask this question to. What is your favorite food that comes in a bowl? Favorite food in a bowl. Your favorite food that comes in a bowl. Ice cream was very popular last week when we did this. Chili soup was very popular. What's your favorite? So uh, ice cream was my first thought. Uh, Soup is a good one. I will go specifically with matzo ball soup. Uh, For people that aren't Jewish or that haven't had matzo ball soup, you might not like it the first time you have it because it might be an acquired taste kind of thing. My wife loves it now. She never had it until she met me. Um... I love matzo ball soup. I, I love soup in general, and matzo ball soup just kind of hits all the feels for taste and comfort and, uh, you know, kind of remembering what childhood was. So 
I'm, I'm going to stick with that as my answer. That is our guy Mitchell Schwartz joining us in studio, all pro right tackle, and here to get you ready for Super Bowl 58. Mitch, always great talking football with you, my man. Same. This is a, a fun week. I hope to see a good game. Absolutely. Coming up on the other side, we'll get you ready for Super Bowl 58 by taking a look back to media day yesterday. And you know what? Travis Kelsey handled himself like a true superstar. We'll talk about it. Keep it right here. It's the drive. Congratulations on getting through your 9 to 5. Thank you so much for listening. It is a drive on 610 Sports Radio, 610sports.com, and the Odyssey app. My name is Carrington Harrison. Very excited to be here today. Rob is here as well, taking you up until 6 o'clock. We're going to do today's 5 o'clock hour a little bit differently. Earlier today, Clark Hunt, owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, was on the station. He was on the midday show. We'll play the best of that conversation coming up in 30 minutes. If you miss the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, you can check out the podcast page, 610sports.com, also the Odyssey app, or you can just stick around until 530, and we can all listen to it together. So we'll do that coming up in just a little bit. Before we start to talk about yesterday's media day, I want to tell you how disappointed I am in the San Francisco 49ers and how they are setting themselves up for the complaints. Now, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the Chiefs, they haven't beaten a playoff opponent in probably three years. Every time the Chiefs beat somebody, something is the reason why. Whether it's the field, whether it's the officiating, whether it's the time of day, whether it's some conspiracy, it wasn't written into the script. The Chiefs never beat anybody It is some divine intervention that constantly chooses that a team in the middle of the country that is the 35th biggest media market, they're just out to get them. So yesterday, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the Chiefs practiced in pads yesterday. They chose to. The Chiefs as a team decided, hey, it's Super Bowl week. We want to set the tones. They have not practiced in pads since October That's not part of the NFL anymore. You don't practice in pads. They wanted to yesterday. That's day one. We're setting the tone. We're setting the tempo. This is a business trip. San Francisco was complaining about the field. A field that, by the way, passed inspection. A field, by the way, that met all the NFL safety guidelines. The NFL spent the day complaining about the field. They then spent the day asking Kansas City to switch their practice schedule to accommodate San Francisco. Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with your field. It's not unsafe. It's a preference. I'm disappointed in you, San Francisco. This is a team that prides themselves on toughness. Isn't that what we heard from Peter King? That Debo Samuel is tough. That George Kittle is tough. Trent Williams is tough. This is a physical football team. They're complaining about the firmness of the field. That's what champions do. That's what the best team in the NFL does. Disappointing behavior as we start Super Bowl week. Nonsense. And they're setting themselves up for the excuses. Oh, we know the excuses. Cincinnati had a bunch of excuses when they lost last year in the AFC championship game. Philadelphia, Philadelphia, they were triggered by a TikTok. San Francisco is already setting up the excuses if they lose in the Super Bowl here coming up in a couple of days. A couple of audio clips that I would like to play for you guys before we get to the hits. Number one is Clark Hunt. I'd like to play this for you before we hear the best of the conversation. Because Mike Florio has been on a one-man crusade to discuss 
Andy Reid retirement rumors. Now, I don't want to make it seem like I know. Me and Andy are not boys. We don't talk. We don't hang out or anything. But there has been no smoke, no reason to believe that Andy Reid is going to retire at the end of the season. There has been no hint. We haven't heard anything about any health or family. None of those things that would make you retire prematurely. For our understanding, Andy Reid is happy. He works for a great organization, lives in a great city, has the best football team in the world, has maybe the greatest quarterback that God has ever created. And now he's just like, eh, I'm good. I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, I have been in the National Football League for 30 years. And now when I have seemingly everything that I ever wanted, I just don't want to do it anymore. Well, Clark Hunt was asked this question earlier today from Cody and Gold. And here's what he had to say about the retirement rumors circulating around their head coach. I've been fascinated to see the number of articles out there speculating about uh, Andy's future. I I have no sense from him uh, that he's ready to hang it up. Uh, He loves what he's doing. He is energized uh, by this team. Um, He has one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Uh, So I'm not expecting him to to step down at the end of the season and uh, look forward, hopefully, to him coaching the Chiefs for many more years. Please stop this nonsense. There will be a time to talk about Andy Reid retiring. When Andy gets closer to 70, I am happy to re-engage this conversation in this debate. That's when Bill Belichick has seemingly retired or went off to be a podcaster. Pete Carroll, Nick Saban. I get it. He's 65. In five years... Or not this time when the Olympics are coming. Because the Olympics are coming up this summer. The next time we have the Summer Olympics, we can have that conversation. I don't even know where it is, Rob. Do you know where it is? I know they're in Paris in 2024. Do you know where the 2028 Olympics are going to be? When we get there, we can have a conversation about Andy Reid. Mark it down. I'll be here. You'll be here. We can have that conversation. But until then, no. He is not retiring. He is not going anywhere. He will continue to be the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. Another player that I feel very confident is not going to retire anytime soon is Travis Kelsey. Listen to Travis Kelsey's voice and tell me if you hear the voice of a player that is playing in his final NFL game. I've been on a mission ever since I won my first Super Bowl. Uh, we, we made it back to, to the Super Bowl the year after 2019, obviously lost to the, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, that's motivated me to get back to this point right here. So um, you'll hear me say this a lot, but I want this one more than I've ever wanted a, a Super Bowl in my life. And it's because uh, the type of team we have, the people that we have in this thing, but also because that tier of uh, teams that have done it twice have uh, gone down in history as uh, some of the greats. You can still hear a passion in Travis Kelsey's voice. I still believe the fire is lit. I still think Travis Kelsey is motivated by going out there and winning at a high level the way the Chiefs have, and I believe that he is motivated in trying to be the best tight end in the world. And as long as you have those two, and you have stayed relatively healthy, I know that this year he was banged up maybe a little bit more than normal, but he didn't have a significant injury this year. He missed, what, two games? One was by choice. And then the first one at the very beginning of the season. I think Travis Kelsey is still motivated to go out there and play at a really high level. 
If anything, I think that next year it could be easier for Travis Kelsey. The Chiefs are going to go out in free agency and give you some help, some additional help, or they're going to spend a first-round draft pick to go get you a wide receiver in a very deep draft class. If anything, I think we could see that the Chiefs get closer and closer to not relying on Travis Kelsey to be Superman, and we just need you to be productive. And, hey, if you could still be Superman, that's great. He was Superman in the AFC Championship game. It's a major reason why they won. He was the best skill position player on the field. He was incredible. 11 catches, 115 yards, one touchdown, had an incredible catch in the back of the end zone. Travis Kelsey can still play this game at a really high level. Maybe he's not the same he was two years ago or four years ago, but he is still a matchup nightmare and he will eat the middle of your zone. We have seen that too many times over the last two years. I don't think that Travis Kelsey is done playing football anytime soon. So I hope, let me knock on wood here. Let me hope. I hope that this is the last time that we have these conversations for a while. Because I don't, there is no one who is close to Andy Reid who has given you any reason to believe that he is retiring. There is no one close to Travis Kelsey that has given you any reason to believe that he is done playing football at the end of the season. Both of them seem incredibly motivated by their success, and they still seem like, hey, the job's not done. If you're Travis Kelsey and you win this Super Bowl, knowing how close you are to Patrick Mahomes, you got a chance to help him do something that no quarterback ever has done. And you got a chance to be a part of a team that is doing something that no team has ever done before. Think about the great teams in NFL history, the Cowboys, the Niners, the Steelers, the Patriots. None of them won three in a row. If the Chiefs win on Sunday and the Chiefs make the improvements that we think they are going to make in the offseason, winning three in a row will be a realistic conversation about the Chiefs. You know they're going to win their division. You know they're going to be back in the postseason. And Patrick Mahomes is entering what should be the prime of his career. The Chiefs will be the Super Bowl favorites to win their third Super Bowl and do something that no team in the history of the game has ever done before. Kelsey's not retiring in that scenario. He's not retiring. So I hope, I hope that Super Bowl media day and earlier today with Clark Hunt, and we'll play that full conversation for you coming up in 20 minutes. I hope that ends the conversation, Rob, about those two guys and this potentially being their final game. I mean, one of two things is true. Either A, you're right, and this can just go away. Clark said today, you'll hear the whole conversation here in about 20 minutes. Clark, Andy has said it before. We've had press conference where he jokes about, hey, why you guys think that because I'm old? Ha, ha, ha. I mean, I would agree on your side of thinking, hey, Andy Reid's going to be continue to do this for a long time. Andy Reid's the kind of guy that is it sleeps in the office kind of energy. He seems to love football, football and cheeseburgers. That's what Andy Reid loves. So I agree with you, but Florio NBC Monday morning quarterback keep floating this out there. And I know the city hates Mike Florio, but Mike Florio is a well-respected journalist. Maybe he's off on this. Maybe he's putting two and two together and he's off base. It's very possible. I'm not saying he's immaculate, but this isn't some just, hey, did you see on pro football blog one, two, three on Twitter said Andy Reid's retiring? This is a notable person saying, keep your eye out for this. Last year, it was Jay Glazer saying, hey, there have been rumors and reports that Andy Reid might be retiring soon. Jay Glazer, outside of fighting UFC, this is what he does best, report on the NFL. So I agree with you. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. 
every time he talks, I fall into that category more and more. But it isn't like it's Joe Schmo egg avatar on Twitter that is throwing this out there. These are respected journalists who are saying this, and it's possible. I disagree with it, but it's possible there's there's fire to the smoke they keep talking about. I want to play this for you. That's a real quick soundbite regarding Travis Kelsey. And I don't think that Travis Kelsey has gotten nearly the amount of credit for this. No, I have no frame of reference for this, but I'm just simply looking at it. It seems like it's really hard to be Taylor Swift's boyfriend. And I'm not saying this as a knock towards her. I'm saying this as a matter of fact for how famous she is. Taylor Swift is possibly the most famous person in the world. Certainly in the conversation for the most famous people in the world. This is unlike any relationship that you have ever been in. This is unlike 99% of famous relationships that you could be in. Like he could be in a relationship with Demi Lovato. It would not register one one hundredth based on how it's registered based on his relationship. The reason I bring this up is. I thought yesterday is Super Bowl media day. He handled it as well as you can possibly handle it. And he looked very comfortable in doing it. Hey, I know that this is what I have signed up for when I decided to be in a relationship with this person. Because you've got to think about Super Bowl media day. It's a lot of the nonsense. It's the riffraff. It's a lot of people trying to go viral for asking the question or doing some crazy stunt. And you are the it person. There is a difference between being a football star and a pop culture star. Travis Kelsey has crossed over. He is your underground band that can now play Sprint Center. That's what he has turned into over the last nine months or so. And you told me, Robin, I don't know this. I don't know all of her relationship. You listen to it. You know who love stories about. I don't know. It seems like this could crack a lot of normal people or people buckle under the pressure of, constantly being asked about your relationship and no matter what you accomplish, they will always ask you questions about her. No matter what you do, Travis Kelsey just had his best game of the season and his team is going back to another Super Bowl. Rob, did you hear one football question that was asked to Travis Kelsey? One is one of them gone viral. Hey, how's your girlfriend? Is she coming to the game? What does her album sound like? Constantly questions about this. I think Travis Kelsey deserves a lot of credit for keeping it as cool as he has always been in these scenarios. I thought he handled it A+, and he handled it like a superstar. So I'm saluting Travis Kelsey for what I saw yesterday because I just imagine it can't be easy. Don't love that you made me sound like a Swifty back there. No, you're a Swifty, and that's okay. I just acknowledge the fact that a lot of her relationships are with very famous people. Jake Gyllenhaal, for example. Jake Gyllenhaal is probably more famous than Travis Kelsey. It broke. Not no Joe, more. Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Not no more. Not no more. When they were dating. No. Yeah. So, I mean, the most famous of the famous people have struggled in that limelight. John Mayer broke. Meanwhile, Travis Kelsey seems to be thriving in that environment. And good for him. They seem, they seem to be, there were doubts, questions, concerns about the validity of their relationship at the beginning by some people on this show. But they seem as strong now as I've ever seen a relationship. You know, they talk about having like a certain level of energy. I just think it takes a certain level of energy to handle these scenarios. And maybe all the people that she has talked to just don't have that level of energy. Because I saw somebody who seems really happy and confident in his relationship. Hey, we're good. 
I understand there's going to be outside noise. We're happy. You guys are the one creating the noise. We're good. I'm happy. I just think that's a lot harder than we have given Travis Kelsey credit. There are certain things that you used to be able to do that you can't do anymore. If you've been out in Kansas City, you've seen Travis Kelsey before. You've seen him going to eat at the bar. He was at Drunken Worm like nine months ago, like right before it closed. I saw him inside Drunken Worm. Hey, how's it going? Quick. You can't do that no more. Nope. That's not how it works. He can you, now you buy Drunken Worm. Used, every girl you dated before now, you and her could go eat at Capital Grill right there in the middle and people wouldn't bother you. You can't do that anymore. You got to go when the restaurant is completely closed. You got to walk around with security. You didn't have to do that before. You got to now. And he seems like he has handled it really well. So I at least want to give Travis Kelsey credit for how he's handled it. And I think he's been a G about it. You want my opinion? I think he's been a G. Can you imagine how good the city would be if he had taken Taylor Swift to Drunken Worm? Drunken Worm would have made it. No. I mean, we would have had ET stories about Drunken Worm. I would Worm. like Taylor Swift more if she told me a Drunken <laughs> Worm story. Actually, I'd be, I'd be a bigger fan if you told me that. Like, if you told me that Taylor Swift went to Buzzard Beach, you know what? She officially is one of us at this point. You're telling me if Taylor Swift's like, hey, I went to High Low and then I popped over to Drunken Worm. You'd be like, I'm downloading this album. Can you imagine just seeing on Instagram? Oh, hey, where's Taylor Swift? Oh, she's at Kelly's. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> oh, she's at, <laughs> she's at Harpo's. That'd be great. That sounds like a great time to me. I don't know why. I don't know why we can't make that happen. Why can't we give Taylor Swift just one day of really being a Kansas City? Leave her alone for one day. Hey, we're going to make you an official list in the city and we promise to not bother you. But these are things that you need to do. If you were going to be one of us, she's already one of us. Where on that list is Dodge potholes on the Missouri side. <laughs> is it two or I mean, is it she one? Not driving? So it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> she's not driving. She's, I'm telling you that Taylor Swift has not driven a car since 2011. She has gone nowhere near a motor vehicle. Nowhere near. She ain't flying commercial and she is not driving your cars. No, not at all. No. She probably doesn't cook very often either. You know, I bake because I really want to make my boyfriend some cookies, but you think I'm about to go in there and no. No. Fernando, hook, hook, hook it up. Travis is hungry. Thank you. That's that's how I'm guessing uh, their relationship goes. Coming up in just a bit, we will play the best of Clark Hunt. Clark Hunt was on the midday show earlier today. And we will play the best of that conversation for you coming up in just a bit. We had Peter King on the show earlier today, and he thinks that the Super Bowl can be high scoring. I I cannot pick against Mahomes. It's just, I just don't think it makes any sense. Um, but I think the game is going to be high scoring. Um, you know, 34-30, something like that. I think there's going to be a lot of points. And – one of the reasons I think that is that both of these teams are extremely smart and know how to do stuff that the other defense is not going to be prepared for. So I like Kansas City, and I like it to be high scoring. Peter King and I are on different sides of this, and that's perfectly fine. The Chiefs haven't given up 30 points to any team in the National Football League. A team has not scored more than 27 points this year against Kansas City's defense. I'm big on just playing the probability. Like, I'm not going into this with the expectation that the Chiefs are holding Christian McCaffrey to 51 yards from scrimmage. That's just, that's not realistic. That didn't happen very often this season. 
Now, I don't think that Christian McCaffrey is going to have 170 yards and three touchdowns, not against this defense, but about playing the probabilities. What's most likely to happen based on what I saw in the postseason? I think think Brock Purdy is likely to throw an interception. I saw him do it against Green Bay. I saw him do it against Detroit. I feel really good that against this defense that can create pressure and with their secondary, I feel pretty good that Brock Purdy is going to give you one. He's going to give you a chance to make a play. I feel really good about Travis Kelsey. If you look at how he's performed in the postseason, 11 catches for 116 yards and one touchdown in the AFC championship game. He had two touchdown catches against Buffalo. He had 70 yards receiving in the Miami game. It is not realistic to me if you were San Francisco to go in this thinking, oh, man, we stopping Travis Kelsey. No one does that in the postseason. Everybody goes into it with the plan of, all right, hey, if we stop Travis Kelsey, we shut down their offense. No one has done it. So I don't know if that's realistic to go into this game anticipating your ability to do that. You probably won't. I don't think it's realistic to go into this game expecting it to be a shootout, not based on what Kansas City's defense has been, and also just based on Kansas City's offense. I haven't seen them get into and win many shootouts this year. Last year's team could do that. That's how last year's team won the Super Bowl, 38-35. I would just be surprised if San Francisco scored a whole lot of points in this game. And based off the offense that I saw in their last 30 minutes, I would also be surprised if that team hung a 38-35 spot on San Francisco. And I'm not super high on San Francisco's defense. I don't think they played that well against Green Bay. And I just saw the Lions score 31 points against them. And if we're being honest, San Francisco probably shouldn't even be in this game if Dan Campbell, I don't know, could just kick field goals We'd be having a very different conversation about a very different team. I think this game is going to be low scoring. Major reason why is I just trust Kansas City's defense the most. Out of the four units in this game, both teams' offenses and both teams' defense, I think that Kansas City's defense is the best unit in this game. So I'm going into it with the expectation that they are going to play well on Sunday against San Francisco. If you're ranking all four, though, Chiefs offensive one, Niners offensive four, wouldn't that mean that the Chiefs offense is going to is probably third? Chiefs offense kind of comes in near the bottom, and you're going to get week on week and strength on strength in this Super Bowl. Isn't that kind of how it's going to shake out? Because I'm betting. I don't know your list. I'm betting if you're ranking all four units, you have the Niners offense at two behind the Chiefs defense. Yes. So then that's how the game stays low scoring. And we agree. I don't see the shootout that Peter King does. I all year have famously been a hater, uh, but I've also been a hater because... Famously, that's all I like. I like hearing that. Famous, you are a famous hater. Famously a hater, but one of the reasons I've been a famous hater is because I have worried that, hey, if there is a game in the postseason that is a shootout, which usually happens in postseason runs, does the Chiefs offense have the firepower this season to go win that game? Do they have what it takes to go win a 38-35 game? I still have my doubts about that, but the fact that that game could linger and exist and the Niners defense is not up to snuff right now does squelch a little my worry, but because the Chiefs offense has some concerns and the Niners defense has some concerns, I agree with you. This game feels like 23-17, maybe 27-24, similar to how we saw the Bills game, but this game doesn't smell like it's getting into the 30s or 40s in any capacity. I just, I guess at least for me, It has been a while since I've seen a quarterback really play well against this defense. And you are saying that this defense, outside of Charles Amenahu, and I understand that he is a major part of what they're doing, 
but it sounds like Willie Gay is going to play. And it's not realistic to think that you're going to get to the final week of the season and everybody is going to be healthy. You got 10 of your 11 starters that are coming into this game as full participant in practices and ready to go. And Charles Amina, who was what, their third best defensive lineman? That just feels like something that you can manage over the course of this game. I saw what this defense did to Josh Allen in the fourth quarter of the divisional round. I saw what this defense did to Lamar Jackson, aside from basically three plays in the game. Two long pass plays to Zay Flowers, and he had one good rush in the game. I just feel like there's going to be a stretch where it is pretty noticeable. Oh, this defense is different. And I think that San Francisco is going to be able to move the ball. They have too many pieces for me to think that Kansas City's defense can stop everything. They have the player that all season I was screaming, I think Christian McCaffrey is the NFL MVP. From week three of the season, I have been saying, hey, I think Christian McCaffrey is the best player in the league. They got Debo Samuel, they got Brandon Ayuk, and they got George Kittle. You are not stopping all four of those players. Who wins in the red zone? Can you get off the field and force them to kick field goals? Who can you take away from their offense? Can you take away a big pass play or two from Brandon Ayuk down the field? Can you limit Debo Samuel in this game? Debo Samuel is probably the eighth best wide receiver they have gone up against this year. And they have done a great job against all of them. Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill, A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs. And we can name the wide receivers. None of them have really had great days against Kansas City. I feel pretty confident in their ability to match up against the passing game. And I think their defense is, is disruptive enough that I think they're going to create a turnover for Brock Purdy. And you know me, I'm big on create turnovers, win the turnover margin. This is another game that I think they can win the turnover margin. And if you win the turnover margin, the odds drastically shift in your favor to win a game that feels like it's a coin flip. Coming up on the other side, the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, Clark Hunt, was on the station earlier today. I'll play the best of that conversation for you next. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Remember to follow the show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. I'm Lori Pearson, 610 Sports Radio. Get off my bumper traffic. Kansas City, it's Trent McDuffie. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Hey, let me tell you guys that right now you can get 15% off online orders for carryout or delivery at Jefferson's with the promo code 610SPORTS. Limit one per customer on a minimum $40 order. I actually had Jefferson's for the AFC Championship game that weekend, and let me tell you, it was a fan favorite where I was. It can be a fan favorite of your big game party. All you got to do is order online, 15% off, carry out delivery, use the promo code 610SPORTS for your big game watch party. Earlier today, Clark Hunt was on the station, and you know what? When the owner of the team is on, I don't care whose show he was on, Fesco in the morning, Cody and Gold, if he was on the station, you need to hear it as you are driving home. And the conversation with Clark Hunt started with, what is it like to see the chief signage with all the Raiders stuff around. It's very fascinating what walking around uh, Allegiant Stadium, which uh, is so branded Raiders, uh, as is their practice facility where the Chiefs are practicing, is very much branded Raiders. And periodically you'll see a Chiefs logo uh, on the wall. And, and it's, it's hard to reconcile the, the two going together. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're glad to be here. We appreciate Mark Davis's and, and the Raiders' hospitality and the great facilities they have. Clark, we know that obviously 
the Super Bowl coming up in a few games, a big story. But obviously, you guys and the Royals are very busy with the future stadium, both project and for the renovations at Arrowhead. When you looked at Arrowhead and you guys were honestly trying to decide between new building and stadium, how hard was the nostalgia part of it? The you know what Arrowhead meant to you and to your family and has meant to your family for so long when trying to decide where to take that money in the future. Yeah, well, first of all, let me say how thankful we are to the Jackson County Legislature for putting the issue on the ballot. Um, And we've had a tremendous partnership uh, with the city of Kansas City and Jackson County that, you know, goes goes back uh, five or six decades now. And we hope to be able to to extend uh, our stay uh, in Kansas City and Jackson County specifically uh, here on on April 2nd with that that initiative. Um, We did go through a very thorough uh, analysis of whether it made more sense for us to build a new stadium uh, or to renovate Arrowhead. And for a lot of reasons, we kept coming back to Arrowhead really being the, the right answer. Um, we had the renovation that was 17, 18 years ago now uh, that, that helped bring the stadium into the mod- modern era. And uh, even though you have all the, these new buildings around the NFL, which are great, right? We love going to SoFi. It's an amazing stadium, Allegiant, AT&T, uh, et cetera. Uh, Arrowhead ha- has weathered the test of time. It, it really has. Uh, it, it provides what we need to be successful in the National Football League. But there is also uh, a part of it that, that is very emotional for our family, and I really think for Chiefs fans in general. Uh, Chiefs fans and NFL fans love coming to GEHA Field at Arrowhead because it is iconic. It's one of the great stadiums in the NFL. Um, it's a little bit like going to Lambeau. I think every NFL fan at some point has to go to Lambeau. He went this year. <laughs> uh, Arrowhead has that, that same kind of kind of feel and notoriety. So uh, that was certainly part of the calculus in the end. Specifically in the, the renovation, I know full details haven't been, been announced yet, but my understanding is a retractable roof or a roof of any sort is not part of the renovation. What was the, the thinking with that as well? Is it is it kind of what Arrowhead has been, or what, how much discussion was there about adding that to the stadium? Yeah, that, that was something – that we tried to accomplish 20 years ago uh, when we did the, the renovation at that, that time. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that, that didn't pass. You know, probably in retrospect, uh, that, that would have been very tough uh, to accomplish from an engineering and architectural standpoint. We like playing in an outdoor stadium uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, like having the guys playing on grass. Uh, I think that's something that makes Kansas City attractive from a free agent standpoint. We also like playing in the elements in December and January. We think that gives us uh, an advantage, and I would point to uh, this year's wild card game at, as a prime example of that. Right? That was that was a cold <laughs> evening for sure, but uh, I, I think I think it was to our advantage to be playing in in that environment. So uh, the renovation plans do not include a roof. If if you're able to get this passed on the ballot in April, do you think that you guys will need this more for just? making sure the stadium can hold together for the amount of time you guys would like to be under a new lease with Jackson County? Or do you think it comes with additional features for the building? Or, you know, like, what does that split look like for you guys? Yeah, it, it's definitely a combination of both. When, when you're dealing with a stadium that's 50-plus years old, uh, there are uh, structural and infrastructure issues that you just have to stay on top of. Um, uh, one of the reasons that we have the opportunity to do another renovation 
is because uh, the county, the sports authority, and the chiefs have done such a good job of maintaining the stadium. I can think of other old stadiums in the NFL, many of which are no longer uh, in use, uh, that you walked in, you felt like the building was falling down around you. Uh, we've been very conscious about trying to maintain Arrowhead as a top-flight NFL stadium, and that certainly will be our focus going forward as we take that building into its sixth, seventh, and eighth decade. Uh, we're going to have to make sure that, that we take care of the infrastructure things. But at the same time, there are going to be new features, right? Uh, we're focused on new features on all three levels of the stadium because we want every fan that comes to to a Chiefs game to, to appreciate uh, new amenities. Uh, we'll also uh, plan on doing some things in the parking lot, assuming that the, the Royals uh, leave Kauffman Stadium. Uh, so we, we want to make what I think is one of the best NFL game day experiences even better. With the, the vote happening on April 2nd, is there a timeline on when you expect to be able to announce some of those specifics? Yeah, our goal is uh, to get those out there in the next month. Um, we, we, we know we're sort of short on time now. We're almost exactly uh, two months away from that, that vote uh, right now. And so we want to make sure uh, that, that the voters have that information as soon as possible. We're talking to the chairman and CEO of the Kansas City Chiefs, Clark Hunt, here. All guests are presented by Spice and Foods, the official sauces of the Kansas City Chiefs. There were some reports or rumors out there over the last couple weeks around Andy Reid and his future there was one report that suggested perhaps he could retire. In your conversations with Andy, what, what do you make of those reports, and, and do you believe that he's going to be coaching for many years to come? Yeah, I, I've been fascinated to see the number of articles out there speculating about uh, Andy's future. I, I have no sense from him uh, that he's ready to hang it up. Uh, I, he loves what he's doing. He is energized uh, by this team. Um, he has one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Uh, so I'm not expecting him to, to step down at the end of the season and uh, look forward, hopefully, to him coaching the Chiefs for many more years. I think the way we always looked at it is, as much as, like, Andy has been a football guy maybe since birth. Like, we can go to the punt, pass, and kick video or whatever we have to to prove Andy is a football guy. We always had a hard time imagining, like, for a guy who loves coaching as much as he does, getting Patrick Mahomes, like getting that level of quarterback play, I feel like as a coach, like in your conversation with Andy, wouldn't it be a really difficult thing to want to not be near? Yeah, certainly that would be my perspective on it. Um, and, and I know he loves uh, coaching pa Patrick. The the two of them, uh, you know, their minds, I think, really think alike. <clears throat> and uh, uh, he Andy's in the middle of one of the greatest runs in NFL history right now in terms of AFC championship success, Super Bowl success. So, uh, hopefully that's a motivating factor for him to stay with us for a long time. We were talking about as it relates to Bobby Wood Jr. When you have a player like Patrick Mahomes, is that the easiest check you ever sign? <laughs> like, we feel like that's how it must have been next door. Been like, yeah, that's fine. We're happy to pay Bobby. Is that is that the easy check to sign? Yeah, when we did Patrick's uh, original deal, which, uh, you know, had a, uh, a, a face uh, price of, 500 million, <laughs> uh, you know, which sounded just incredible. I had half a billion dollars. Uh, it, it no doubt was a lot of money, uh, but when you have a, a player of Patrick's caliber, the, those are easy checks to write. One thing that Patrick mentioned on the stage with you after the AFC title game when you were getting the Lamar Hunt trophy was also uh, your, your mother and, and, and Norma Hunt and having that patch this year. Does that, does that make this year even more special just knowing that, that she was honored throughout this season? Yeah, it, it sure does. And, and I would go back to last year's Super Bowl. And uh, as a family, we felt so fortunate that we were able to get her to that game because her health was already failing. <clears throat> and uh, it was, you know, so 
fantastic and and uplifting to see her get to celebrate uh, another Super Bowl win in, in what would end up being her last Super Bowl. Certainly, uh, starting with that onstage ceremony um, last uh, uh, Sunday when we won the AFC Championship, all the way through the Super Bowl, it's going to be very emotional for our family. Uh, I've found myself thinking about her and my dad a lot uh, over the la- last 10 days. Um, you know, Patrick was so thoughtful uh, to mention winning the Lamar Hunt Trophy with my mother's initials uh, on, on the jersey. So she'll be in the back of our minds for sure, and I know she and my dad are, are looking down and be cheering on the Chiefs on Sunday. Which of their Super Bowl traditions do you find yourself carrying on? <clears throat> like you don't go to that many Super Bowls with not having some things you do for every single one of them, right? Yeah, well, one of the things that we always uh, did with my mom when we got to the Super Bowl was we would stop outside the stadium as a family and take a photo. Uh, you know, with with the logo for that that year's Super Bowl, so we'll probably do that that in her honor this year. That was Clark Hunt earlier today. He was on the midday show with Cody and Gold. Great stuff from Clark Hunt. A lot of insight into the stadium. They feel the same way about Arrowhead that you guys feel about Arrowhead. I understand the frustration with the Kansas City Royals and them wanting a new stadium, but the tax is tied into them preserving Arrowhead Stadium as well. That's a major reason why I think it is going to pass. I mean, the Chiefs have been pretty steadfast this entire time. We do not want a new building. We do not want a new structure. We love what we have here, and it's going to be even better once the Royals move. We endorse this three-eighths of a cent sales tax. Very interesting times in Kansas City, and we are two months away from seeing what the residents of Jackson County decide to do with the three-eighths of a cent sales tax. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esqually Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this. On your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. You're listening to The Drive. Now CDOT's got one extra point. Yesterday, we saw the Kansas Jayhawks lose to the Kansas State Wildcats. Now, K-State fans, I come in peace. I really do. But I disagree with Jerome Tang. I do. There's nothing wrong with storming the court. There's nothing wrong with it. Storming the court is cool. It's fun. It is a highlight of your time in college. You look back and you tell the story and you have the picture. You know what I have just accepted about college basketball? I have accepted that I am not going, I I am no longer in love with the basketball part of college basketball. I don't know who the players are. The games are not very well played. Like I don't love the basketball part. I appreciate all the other things about college basketball. So you know what? Run on the court. Have fun. There's nothing cooler than at the end of an upset or the end of a big game where all the students come on the court and they have a good time. So this Jerome Tang, act like you've been there, act like you beat Kansas. Sure, I get the mentality of it, but you know what? It makes college basketball less enjoyable for me. So run on the court. Don't hurt anybody. I don't want to see any fights. Let's not run into people the way that Caitlin Clark got ran into, but run on the floor. Then today, as I was driving into work, he doesn't want you to say FKU. 
That's part of what makes college basketball college basketball. It's the fans. It's the people. It's the pageantry. It's the environment. Let them have fun. I used to really care about the basketball part of it. Ooh, who's going who's gonna to be the next guy in the league? I'll wait till they get to the league to figure it out. Can none of these kids shoot? Can none of them play? I've seen Kevin McCullough play at least 15 times. If you're telling me that guy's an NBA player, you don't watch the NBA. You just don't watch it. I just, I, I don't know what to do anymore. I just throw my hands up and I just accept it. I don't want to be the old guy. Well, back in my day, college basketball was so much better. Well, yeah, it was better because they let him run on the court. Yeah, because they were letting them have fun. And they were screaming, F the other team. I love when they do that at Mizzou games. Oh, when they start to sing Mr. Brightside and you know it's coming, I don't care who they're playing. Florida State, Ohio State, Kansas State, it doesn't matter to me. If Missouri is competing, it's FKU. Let them have fun, man. Let them run on the court. Act like you've been there before. K-State, I remember when KU used to whoop y'all ass. Now you now you too good to run on the floor? You guys are you guys are above it now. Some of you didn't see KU lose in Bramlage Coliseum until you were 27 years old. Now you just you're just too good to run on the floor. Stop it. Run on the floor. Be happy. Celebrate. Enjoy it. That's all I got today. I did enjoy the game yesterday. It was fun. It was very enjoyable. If I was a case, if I mean my team's frustrating. If I was a K State fan, I, I they frustrate me at times because they got so much potential, you know, so much potential. But man, they have stretches where they're very, very frustrating. Watching college basketball is just accepting that your team's not going to score for like six minutes. <laughs> it's just accepting it, like you know what I mean. Like, hey, I'm just watching them get cardio for the time being. This is great. Back again tomorrow. Take care of yourself. It's the drive. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.